For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Morning also, weather dominates, as you can imagine. Well, a lot of different stories. I think that, I think at the end, if we're all going to go, I think if we're all going to go and there's going to be huge problems to the planet, I think it's water is going to do it to us eventually, isn't it? Water and flooding and the seas and what have you and rainfall. Front of the Echo this morning has uh, very confident thoughts from the Lord Mayor of Cork, the independent councillor, Kieran McCarthy, loves his city, great Cork historian. He's talking about the Morrison's Island uh, public realm and flood defence project. Uh, so if they can fix Morrison's Island, it would be fair to say, wouldn't it, that a lot of areas off it, including, say, for instance, Union Quay and Lavitz Quay, uh, Morrison's Island itself, the South Mall, Pembroke Street, and perhaps all the way into different um, um, little feeder streets into Oliver Plunkett Street would also be helped by that. It would protect businesses, ultimately, um, and, uh, you know, uh, maybe... Uh, the events of, um, you know, Babette and over the bank holiday jazz weekend showed us that it really needs to be done sooner rather than later. There's another uh, construction type story making the inside pages of the examiner. 1,000 apartments and the initial site work um, begins on 1,000 apartments and of course this is down in the Docklands area. It's a multi-billion euro regeneration plan for the city's Dockland region and it's great to see different companies and developers uh, stepping up to the challenge. Now, one could say that the thousand apartments will be very much gobbled up to cope with the existing labour market demands but what can you do? We just need to build and if it's building higher, uh, maybe that's what cities do and we need to do it also. As you know, we, were talking about, we were talking about noise uh, and the annoyance of noise, particularly in your home or construction work that's going on and the hours in which that construction work ha- happens. We were talking last week about kangaroo hammers and thumping um, um, down um, I think it was down Coveway wasn't it the post office was absolutely driven berserk by it uh, y'all my apologies you're right it was the all post office with construction next door but there's a court case making the echo today of they call him an irate man found sitting in a an eight, in an eight foot deep manhole entangled in a compressor hose protesting against late-night kango hammering near his Cork home has avoided a criminal conviction and rightly so. Um, Brian Gould, uh, by all accounts, uh, said he was never warned in advance that this noisy late-night work would be carried out near his home. Um, he entangled himself in the compressor hose, which was being used by the workers at the site. I'm quite sure that that was frustrating for the workers, but you got to think of it from the point of view of the man himself and how frustrating that noise must have been. Uh, he said he'd never been told anything about it. He said that he found he was found by Gardy in the manhole, preventing any further work from continuing at 11.45pm up on the Cathedral Road. He says at 11.30 they hadn't stopped kango hammering at 11.30 at night. It's an interesting court case and then when you look at it with regards to you know how, how but people can be driven to um, out of sheer frustration or wondering I have nowhere else to turn here. I cannot deal with this noise. Um, talking about uh, stories involving interactions with people uh, of course we, we all know of the death of the Limerick man uh, Jason Corbett found beaten to death in his North Carolina home in 2015. And we know, of course, that Molly Molly Martins and uh, her dad, Thomas Martins, have pleaded guilty now to the voluntary manslaughter uh, of the Limerick man. Um, So evidence continues and witnesses continue in court in uh, in North Carolina. So that dominates a lot of the papers this morning because um, Molly Martins' mum was on the witness stand yesterday talking about hearing noises. They were staying 
as guests in the basement and she was in bed and she heard all sorts of noises and fighting and screaming by all accounts. But interestingly, I don't know whether much of this is to do with trying to tarnish the image of the dead man, Jason Corbett himself, but they, they're they claiming that the relationship was abusive. There were allegations made in court that he was responsible for the death of his first wife. All, all of these kind of uh, awful things. I don't I don't know whether they're doing this intentionally. Um, we'll certainly be taking a closer look at the court case over the next couple of days with uh, Ralph Regal because he's out there for the Irish Independent. But the son this morning says that the wife of the self-confessed killer said she heard screaming from an upstairs bedroom on the night that Jason Corbett was killed. Uh, he was found beaten to death at his home in August of 2015. But there are many saying, and particularly the prosecution, that her story and much of what the defence are saying is just not credible. Um, the Limerick father of two killed with a brick and a baseball bat. Um, but she said in spite of all of the noise, it did quieten down and she went back to sleep. So that dominates much of the front and inside pages today. Um, isn't that the most extraordinary story of, of people who were inside in a pub? Well, it was a pub and an Airbnb and it literally collapses around their ears. Um, it's, an ast- it's an astounding story from a place called Kilkelly in County Mayo. 8.45 yesterday morning, there were five guests lodged in the self-catering accommodation at the time. Imagine if it was in the evening, I suppose, the pub would have been open and it would have been full. But they'd have been taken to hospital because the pub literally collapsed around them. Papers carry photographs of it this morning and, of course, online, uh, many, many visio- videos. Talking about things collapsing or just falling down around your ears. Of course, the issues of the, in the Gaza Strip continue to dominate the international news. It's awfully sad, isn't it, that uh, one of the Israeli airstrikes hit a Gaza refugee camp and killed at least 50 people. It's a front page of making the Irish Times today. At least 50 reported killed in this one particular strike in the Jabala uh, refugee camp in the northern Gaza Strip yesterday. And I would imagine that there were people of all ages, including small little children. And talking of children, an alarming story on the front of the Examiner for the times that we live in, where society seems to be kind of uh, more and more problematic, it would seem to me. There's been a 30% jump now in the amount of cases where the Gardaí have had to go into family homes and remove children from the family home for their own safety. If you compare the number, and I was doing this this morning, if I can just find the stat on it, if you compare it uh, to 2017, there's been a huge increase. In 2017, there were 766 cases where the Gardaí had to go in and remove children from family homes. That was in 2017, 766. Um, The latest statistic um, is 1,240. It's not far off doubling. Now, Gardaí have the power to take a child to safety where they have reasonable grounds that there's an immediate and serious threat to the health and welfare of children. I'll be talking a little later on uh, with uh, Richard, Hogan, Richard Hogan, the psychotherapist, with regards to family dynamics or you know relationships within families or when families have issues within them. I think it's fair to say there is no family that doesn't have some kind of an issue. There's no picture-perfect family. He's written a new book called Home is Where the Star is. Uh, and indeed, you might be interested in that with regards to your own family dynamics or indeed, you know, uh, issues in your own childhood regarding a parent or parents and things like that. But childbirth also dominates the examiner because um, the latest statistics from the CSO, I love the number crunching of the CSO, don't you? They're saying that the average age of mothers giving birth in Ireland is now 33.3 years of age, which is just over the age of 33. But it's very interesting also because there's another stat that's also increasing and that's the number of births to women age 40 
and over has risen by a third in the space of a decade. So while the average age is just over 33, there's also a big increase in women having birth, giving birth later in life. Um, you know, I, I talk about the dangerous dogs list a lot and I meant to come back to this story yesterday, but of course it gets, it gets very busy and I hope to do it this morning. These XL bully dogs. You know, I was telling you about the, uh, the attack um, yesterday in Enniscorthy County, Wexford, um, there's been another one now. Uh, a woman has been taken to hospital following another attack of an XL bully dog in a similar incident to the one two days ago, and it involves the same kind of dog. Uh, apparently, Gardaí were called, ambulance services were called, and this poor woman had to be taken to hospital with the injuries. Now, the XL bully, uh, which they say in the papers this morning, Leo Varadkar does not want to be banned, uh, was taken away by a local dog warden um, to the pet pound and was euthanized. Meanwhile, that same type story uh, makes this morning's UK Times today because the XL bully dog will join the list of banned breeds in England and Wales at the end of this year. This is not the dangerous dogs list. This is the banned list. So they would appear to be taking an awful lot more seriously over there than we are here. So more on that across the morning. If you have your own thoughts or comments or opinion on it, text 0868104106. Is it the dog or is it the owners of the dog? You know the MV Matthew with the haul of 157 million euro worth of cocaine? Well, cocaine has been taken off it. They, they say that the ship itself is, is worth about 6, maybe 7 million euro, but nobody has claimed it. So if they don't claim it, I mean, who would come forward and say, yeah, that cocaine ship, that's mine actually. <laughs> You hardly would, would you, unless you could prove that you were innocent of the whole thing. But there it sits in the Port of Cork, and if nobody can, uh, comes to claim it, it will be sold and the profits will go to the exchequer. So that's a story making uh, the sun this morning. And the boss, Bruce Springsteen and the East Street Band, will play Cork, will pay, play Cork, Parky Cueve next year. Next year's going to be a bumper year for gigs, whether it's Parky Cueve, the various gigs there, Musgrave Park and all of the fabulous announcements for Musgrave Park next summer, or Live at the Marquee. So, Bruce is the latest. Uh, tickets will go on sale at 8am uh, on Monday, the 6th of November. It's the 1st of November today, another month gone. Uh, and he'll play Cork, the Cork venue, Parky Cueve, May 16th, 2024. So, lots to look forward to. Going to do a bit of a dive. Claire's done a dive into hotel prices on Leaside on the night of the gig next May. So, I'll tell you some more about that throughout the course of the morning. But suffice to say that the Mail has done it for Dublin for the nights of the Bruce Springsteen gig. And, you know, obviously, you could set your watch to it. Prices increase for the night of the gig. Here's an example. The Clayton on Burlington Road on the night or the week before the gig, €199. Euro. On the night of the gig, €489. Euro. Um, if you look at a three-star hotel on the week before, €175. Euro. And on the night of the gig, €425. Euro. That's a 142% increase. But say, for instance, in the four-star, it's a 159% increase the week before when you compare it to the night of the gig. Prices up by nearly 160%. And nightclubs will stay open until 6 o'clock next summer. They're just putting the final um, uh, touches now to the bill that will bring it into legislation. I'll talk to Michael O'Donovan about uh, Vintner Matters in a few minutes' time. And also, in the world that we live in, uh, they drill into the in-demand jobs in this morning's Irish Independent. The jobs that will see uh, salary increases while others will stay flat. I'll come back to it later on, but you're probably going to see in the next calendar year, a 15% hike in salaries for people working in tech, 
anybody working in building and construction, anyone working as um, a planner or an engineer or indeed, interestingly, insurance specialists. These are the kind of jobs that will see salary increases of about 15% in the next year. And you're watching that story regarding Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings because all sorts of information now have been are being told to committees in the UK regarding Johnson, the dynamics of him uh, as Prime Minister, or lack of them for that matter. But it, it's very interesting because the former PM actually claimed, this is Boris Johnson, that COVID was nature's way of dealing with elderly people and that the elderly needed to accept the fate that was being handed to them. Isn't that awfully, awfully cruel? But they have the proof to it. They have the proof of it uh, because they have the diaries, they have the minutes and they have the WhatsApp texts. The number one talk show in Cork. If it's happening in Cork, Neil is talking about it. The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. Right, busy morning. Let's get stuck in. As always, in demand when the weather takes a turn. Alan O'Reilly from Carlo Weather. He joins me by phone. Alan, good morning. I won't keep you long. How are you, pal? I'm good, yeah. Good, all good here. Uh, we're not, we're not, you know, Storm Curon. We're not by any stretch of the imagination looking at a Storm Babette here, sure we're not? No, we're not. Um, we're thankful that Storm Curon is going to track to the south of us, bringing some devastating destruction to parts of the northwest of France and the Channel Islands and even south of England. Um, but there is still some rain that's going to likely catch Cork, unfortunately. Um, now, a little wobble in Ciaran, a little further north, a little further south, will have a big impact on how much rain. At the moment, it's generally probably another 10 to 20 millimetres, possibly up to 30 millimetres. Um, some of the models had been showing up to 60 millimetres of rain, which obviously would have a much bigger impact. But still a very wet night ahead, um, especially near the coast in Cork. So, <laughs> excuse me, so closer to the south coast, the more rainfall you're going to see. It's going to be intense rainfall probably between about 9 or 10 p.m. and then about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. So it's an overnight thing. Is is that going to be impacted? I don't want to get too technical with you, but will it be impacted by any kind of high tides, do you think? Um, well, the spring tides have eased off a little bit, but given the low pressure system, um, you're going to have a bit of storm surge. So at high tide, there will be some uh, risk of coastal flooding not probably if it had if if Kieran had arrived um a few days earlier the impact would have been much much bigger but you could you could see some certainly some coastal flooding again um around high tide but if you look at a high tide about 20 to 8 this evening uh, a lot of the rain at that stage uh, will that impact cork city centre and those areas that flood historically do you think well, you won't have a lot of rain by that time, but you will have the low pressure pushing um, the storm surge. Now, luckily, because high tide at that time, the, the peak of the storm will be a little bit later after it. So I don't think you're looking at kind of a significant event, but certainly there is a risk of some more. Yeah, okay. Of the yeah, yeah, you're right, actually. It's more like nine, ten o'clock this evening, the heaviest of the rain, isn't it true? Yeah, 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 yeah. indeed. Yeah. And, and and the problem is, like as I said, it, you do need to keep an, an eye on this, and, and it is overnight, so the heaviest of rain will be falling, obviously dark and that, but people that are in areas prone to flooding, just keep a close eye on it, because as I say, if, if Kiran was to wobble a little bit further north, the amount of rainfall we see could could increase. We will get a bit of a respite um, after that, though, tomorrow and also on Friday, but then possibly more rain coming in, especially on Saturday, 
um, and, and possibly heavy again for the south as well. Okay, so you can see Cork County Council warning because of the winds that you're talking about of flying debris, for instance, and falling trees. And I think they're out, they're doing the business with regards to gullies and you know, clearing inlets and stuff like that. And they've even got sandbags and pumping arrangements in place. So the county council is well prepared for this, which is good news, yeah? Oh, absolutely. And as I say, these, like, Storm Kiron is still developing. So you always have to be very careful with these storms because a little small wobble in the track can make a big difference. And there will be some strong winds along the coast especially. So, you know, actually quite windy there this morning in parts of the west, but they will ease off and then they'll pick up again. So um, anybody near the south coast especially take care. And given how sodden the ground is, it wouldn't take a lot of wind to move some trees because obviously the ground is so weak. Um, so that that is a potential problem, especially along the coast. I hear you. I hear you, as always. So um, what is it? Uh, it's a status yellow, isn't it? Yeah. It is a status yellow. Um, but obviously, you know, 10 or 20 millimetres this week will have a bigger impact than 10 or 12, 20 millimetres a couple of weeks ago because mm. the water levels are so high and the ground is so wet. So okay. it okay. is kind of, you know, obviously a different impact given the, the, the amount of rainfall we've had. Like, we've had our year's worth of rainfall now. Um, you know, Cork stations there have recorded more rain than, than they normally do in a full year. And obviously, we're only in the first of November today. And we have a long way to go yet. Thanks for the update, as always, Alan. Appreciate it. Uh, get your weather Cheers. and check it with Alan O'Reilly from Carlo Weather. Uh, I got the, got the press release, actually. I mean, I'm just... The way you kind of hone in on things, uh, Cork County Council crews are on standby in several known risk locations across the county. Crews are currently clearing inlets and gullies, sandbags and pumping arrangements will be in place in known problem locations. Members of the public are advised to stay high, stay dry and stay back. It's an interesting way of putting it, isn't it? Stay high, stay dry and stay back from the coast. Uh, take that advice and whatever wish, way you wish. I'll leave it up to you. Back after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. Uh, more as well this morning on everybody who wants to help the good people of Middleton. You know, I was telling you yesterday about the big uh, Middleton Together Music Festival for November 5th at the Middleton GAA. Tickets for the event are now sold out. I mean, God almighty, the incredible reaction to that. So more on that across the morning and Red FM happily to be part of that as media sponsors and Colm O'Sullivan and everybody involved emceeing the gig. Isn't that great news? So more on that across the morning. But uh, another call that I didn't get to yesterday um, was a uh, reaction to uh, uh, the bank holiday weekend and whether or not it was, imp- it was impaired in any way, shape or form by the rain uh, and the flooding issues across uh, the city. And I was also keen to see what the publicans were saying about the weekend. Michael O'Donovan the president of the VFI uh, on Leaside, joins me by phone. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Neil. What are the publicans saying now? Have you had time to digest? Are you, are you critical of you know, the, 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 the issues regarding flooding and people plodding around in water or what? Yeah, look, uh, talking to publicans, it was a super weekend uh, that they had um, for the Jazz Festival. Um, the slight downside of it was the, the flooding. Um, you know, it had a small, very small knock-on on bands uh, having to stay in a pub that they mightn't be able to get out of or that they weren't able to play because the threat of flooding going in. But it was only a small threat, but I suppose the bigger... So it was a rostering issue, thing, was it, to an extent? He, 
Yeah, a rostering and look, I suppose keeping to the timetable, it was slightly delayed uh, that uh, six o'clock slot, uh, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock slots were slightly thrown by bands not able to move around from venue to venue. But but was that also the case that maybe uh, punters were locked in as well? I think Claire was telling me that she was happily locked in and couldn't move from, I think it might have been the Imperial. Was that the case? Yeah. I mean, did you have anybody in the pub who couldn't get out? Well, no, our end of the city, uh, Washington Street side, wasn't affected, to be fair. It was mainly the, the usual, you know, Oliver Plunkett Street, yeah. Pembroke Street, Somehow, surrounding areas. Yeah. That yeah. was the, the areas that got uh, that got the flooding. And look, I suppose from looking at it from a visual viewpoint, you know, maybe it's not the best advertisement for our city uh, when this happens. And knowing that the Office of Public Works have a, a plan in place, you know, for Morrison's Island, maybe now it's time to have a look at it because going forward, we were lucky this weekend. It, it didn't, um, I suppose, rise to higher levels. Uh, places didn't get flooded. But going forward, if that was, a, uh, say, a jazz weekend next year, and if the same thing happened and for went higher, it would be a disaster. It would be completely and utterly because you'd have all of the premises waterlogged, wouldn't you? We, we, yeah. we always get a bit of bad weather, though, on the jazz weekend. I, can, I can't remember when it was sunny and blue skied in a long time. It seems to be just one of those things, you know? Yeah, it seems to go hand in hand. Well, we have had good, good, you know, 2018, 19. They were actually very good weather uh, uh, weekends. So it uh, it changes. But look, when there is a, a super high tide like we had at the weekend, um, you know, we, we have to start looking at putting the precautions in place that this doesn't happen to our city, especially when there's so many people in the city. Because, you know, it could have been, it could have been a bigger issue if, the, if, if premises had started the flood. Yeah, I know the way it is, yeah. Uh, but are they saying that numbers were up though across the weekend? I mean, did they notice an awful lot of people from around the country or from overseas on Lee side? Yeah, the, look, uh, I myself uh, had people from England, a lot of people, and from Germany. Um, but uh, talking to publicans, they were saying there was a lot of European visitors in from Holland as well, um, and other countries. Spain was mentioned as well, um, and then there was a huge uh, volume of people, you know, from all over Ireland came to Cork for the weekend. So it was it was really a super weekend. It's a, it's a showcase weekend for our city, um, and look, things like the the flooding. It's probably not not the best advertisement that we could have of people going away talking about you know the flooding of the city as opposed to the great weekend that they had in the city yeah I know I know so I mean yeah you're right it, it, something needs to be done and, and hopefully the, those plans that are coming up with will be put into place they're saying the second quarter of next year however next year is going to be a bumper year on Lee side because we've got all sorts of great gigs take that Sting Blondie the announcement of Bruce Springsteen and others all that's going to be great for Cork City yeah absolutely look the, the more events that we have because what we've really seen uh, especially I suppose uh, after the two years that we were closed nearly is events drive people into the city into big towns and it's just a huge plus for us uh, when that happens so the more events that we can attract into Cork the better for you know hospitality in general but also you know <laughs> for lots of businesses it brings extra business so it, it's huge for the city to have those events coming in Good man Oh, oh listen just before you go uh, they're just signing off now on the nightclub business till 6 o'clock in the morning your, your thoughts on that would there even be punters wanting a nightclub do we even have nightclubs in Cork anymore what do you think? Look Neil the 6 o'clock in the morning is only one uh, slight uh, piece of it of the, the, the Licensing Reform Act Um Will there be places in, until 6 o'clock in the morning? It's very... Look, most of the places now operate late 
uh, late bar licences um, will they be going till 6 o'clock in the morning I think there'll be a very very small number of our members will be doing that What are the other issues though just briefly then with regards to the Licensing Act? Um, well, for us, I suppose extinguishment of licence is uh, one of the big ones, and we've been doing work on that uh, for Ex- a while. How do you mean? Uh, if you want to open a bar, that you have to get a licence uh, from another bar. You know uh, that they're they're not just issuing licences. Um, carte blanche that the the licensing is held, you know, because we have probably, look, we've seen over the last, I suppose, decade, the amount of bars that are closing, so uh, to make it viable and for others to survive, we need to hold on to the extinguishment of licenses um, so that when one closes, uh, that license can be moved somewhere else and another one can open, but not to be issuing, you know, lots of licenses out of the, the Act, which was, I suppose, one of the things that was maybe proposed at the start of the... I'm the, not quite following you. Are you saying that the Act will just give out new licences or that the existing process where you have to get somebody else's will stay in place? No, one of the proposals in the Act was that there would be a new licence uh, opportunity um, and look, it's, it's always great to see new bars opening but uh, I suppose what we were saying is we already have enough bar licences out there that we don't need to issue more licences that uh, licences can be used from other premises. Yes, but they're more expensive to buy, aren't they? Uh, well, they're they're not as expensive now as they were maybe 30 years ago, Neil. So they've come way down in price. The license now is about, give or take, €50,000. But why are you... Uh, yeah, so that that would be a substantial chunk of cash. I mean, why, why are the vintners saying, on the one hand, that all of our pubs are closing and we need to do something about it, and then when they come up with a proposal for new, brand-new licences, you've still got a problem with that? Well, I suppose it's to, you know... There, there are many licences out there that aren't being used at the moment, so it's trying to get those licences back into the system and get them up and running, as opposed to issuing new licences uh, into the system. And that's what we feel is the best solution to get those ones back open and get those ones working, maybe in different okay. locations. Yeah. But like, but like, if there is licences uh, that are out there that you know premises have closed, there's a reason why they've closed in that area. So issuing new licence into that area probably isn't going to work either, you know, so it needs to be looked at the ones that are that are already in use, that uh, that aren't being used, that aren't uh, open at the moment. Can you explain what, them. okay, I understand, can you explain one other thing, and, and I know that I didn't plan to ask you this, but with regards to, say, for instance, a cafe or, or a deli or a restaurant that, that's serving food and, you know, and, and maybe wine, can they step up their licence where they can have, um, you know, burning liquor or they can have draft and, and pints? Is, is that a possibility or does that just happen? No, anyway. yeah, there, there, there's different. I, I wouldn't be a hundred percent now on the restaurant uh, licensing side of it, but there is a restaurant license that they can apply for, and then that uh, enables them to serve alcohol through the restaurant license. They can have a wine on license, um, but the restaurant license would entitle them to serve most of the products that they want to serve in a restaurant. Okay, and that so they'd be just like the same arrangement as a pub, then, would it? Because more more people like to socialise and I I know that pubs are doing food, don't get me wrong, but maybe people like restaurant settings or bistros or things like that where they'd also like to have a drink. That's possible, so... It is, but there there is criteria there to get that. You have to satisfy the fire officer and you know apply to revenue and and get that. So there there is work in getting that licence. And is there still a mad charge on bar extensions? There is? 
There is, uh, like it's, it's, it, it was 410 euros per night that the government have uh, reduced it to 205 uh, per night, but it's still all the extras that go with it, you know, your, your security requirements. Um, you might have uh, one security to 40 or one security to 60, depending on what the judge uh, attaches to yeah. it. So it's the, the paying the actual amount is the, is the cheap part. It's the extras all the that are or the, the costs that go with it and look at uh, having a bouncer or you know security staff for a night you know they're expensive Okay covered a lot of ground this morning thank you for that oh I just one stat for you because I was talking to a nightclub staying open until 6 o'clock in the morning you may not have known this but I see in the mail this morning they said the number of nightclubs in the country has fallen from 500 nightclubs 20 years ago to around 80 nightclubs in Ireland now isn't that a serious drop isn't it? It is, but I suppose the other side of it, Neil, is the late night bars. I've taken like, the gap, it, yeah. yeah. I've taken the gap. Yeah. So, you know, like say, late night bars stay up and down until half two, out for three at the weekends. And there's been a huge increase in late night bars where the nightclub uh, used to operate in that, um, that vicinity before. Yeah, you got it. Thanks, Michael. As always, always available. Michael O'Donovan, president of the VFI from the Castle Bar. Isn't that fabulous news about the Middleton Together Music Festival? Just while I have an opportunity, I'll just stay with that because I'm joined by John Fenton, the chairman of Middleton GA. John, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? Were you expecting to sell out as fast? I mean, that's incredible news, isn't it? It's absolutely um, the word that the people of Middleton have given the people that have been affected by the floods in the last week, it's, it's surprising. Um, yeah. The support has been absolutely fantastic um, around the area, from people outside the area coming in to help, and the, the, the people around the town and the schools and whatever helping. The support is as as. as could be an incredible story. Yeah, it's just that it all, it's not a great phone line, John. Just move around a little bit there. But it, it, it's amazing that this got done so quickly. Like the gig is Sunday afternoon. It's only announced last week. And yet uh, there's 500 tickets already sold. Um, all, all you need now is a bit of weather and all would be well. Well, yes, if, if the weather would play ball over us, it would be fantastic on Sunday. But it's um, literally this has come together within a week. And lots of people... Uh, some local people approached the GA Club to know we get involved and, and lend our name to it and lend our facilities to it and we were absolutely delighted to do this. So uh, it has come together very quickly and very uh, smartly and we are very grateful to the artists who have given their time and are free of charge. We have a fantastic lineup on Sunday and I think that's reflected in, in the way the, that the, uh, the tickets were sold so quickly. People totally. realise that the artists that we have are world class so it is going to be a great day in the pavilion without a doubt Paddy Casey and Walters John Spillane Mickey Joe Hart Stephanie Rainey George Murphy The Hollies Sparkle Derek Burke lots more like that Kids DJ Entertainment a lot of food stalls will be there on the day people will be turning out also to um, show their best food and to sell it locally what will happen with the proceeds then I wonder John what exactly is the plan there all the proceeds need will go to St. Vincent de Paul. We've met with the, the local and the regional officers of Vincent de Paul and they have agreed to disperse the funds to those people uh, directly uh, affected by the floods. So all funds we will hope to be handing over um, a substantial check to St. Vincent de Paul by the end of next week and all funds will go uh, directly to people uh, directly affected by the well done. It's brilliant the way people came together. <laughs> Our local people all got together and planned this so quickly. Okay, so good luck with it. There's no way you can increase it. Are you limited to the 500? Yeah, we are limited to 500 because.
require and, and I understand. Help, help safety. We are directing people to GoFundMe page on uh, GoFundMe.com. Uh, they go onto that and go to the Milton GA page. And, um, they can make a contribution there towards it, and all, all that money will go as well. And we'd just like to thank all other sporting and other organisations in the town who are helping us next Sunday uh, with with the provision of stewards and and uh, help in any way that we can that they can provide for us. So it's a community effort. Built a chair or fronting it, but there's a lot of people behind us. All right, fair play to you. It's a great story. Best of luck with it. Have a great day. That's John Fenton, chairman of Middleton GAA. Um, as I say, just have a quick look at the weather for Sunday, which would be the fifth uh, Sunday afternoon. You know something? It's all right. I mean, it's not any kind of blazing sunshine or anything like that, but if nothing changes, it should hold dry, around about maybe 10, possibly 11 degrees. Uh, so I told you a lot of the gigs we're playing. Here's a sample of what will be happening down there on the day with the different artists. You know who this is. Well, anyone can lose it all. and Saints and Sinners playing the Middleton Together Music Festival this coming Sunday and good luck to everybody involved in it. Just also there's another big event happening uh, on Leaside as well and it's happening in the Everyman. St Finbar's Hurling and Football Club are raising much needed funds for their underage division and they put together a really great gig at the Everyman this coming Saturday night. Now tickets are on sale for 36 euro at theeveryman.com It's a big Mario Rosenstock night so they're hosting a big comedy night in the Everyman Saturday night. It's a big fundraiser for all sections of the club. So you'll have Mario Rosenstock of Gift Grub and uh, Today FM and indeed this parish. He's a regular visitor to this uh, to this show. He's also joined by Tyke Hickey, Cornelius Patrick O'Sullivan for a night of comedy and crack in the Everyman. Now it's going to be a great night. There's going to be a lot of GAA stars there. You never know. They're saying to me they might even get a special visit from Cork's own Roy Keane. Mario and friends will serve up a, a great night's fun and laughs. Now tickets are available, as I say, Everyman Cork, I'm sorry, the Everyman Cork website um, and also wherever you get your tickets. But uh, I also have four tickets to give away. Um, Mightn't do it today, but I certainly will do it uh, tomorrow in advance of the big night. But uh, everymancork.ticketsolve.com. That's where you can get your tickets and all of the proceeds going, of course, to St. Finbar's Hurling and Football Club to raise much needed funds. And any night where uh, the likes of Mario Rosenstock or Tyg Hickey takes to the stage is a good thing. It's a big comedy night then on Saturday night. So check out the Everyman Cork to get tickets for that one and stay listening because uh, I'll have uh, three or four of them to give away uh, in the next day or two. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. To the phone lines get stuck in. I was talking about XL bully dogs and I was telling you that a woman, and this is a separate case to the one earlier in the week, uh, the attack, the, the reporting overnight is a woman was taken to hospital following another attack by an XL bully dog days after a similar incident where two women were taken to hospital after being bitten by the same breed of dog. On top of that, of course, earlier on, we heard of the awful tragic story of the injuries that poor old Alejandro Mazan had to put go through. He was playing football with his friends in Enniscorthy as well. Actually, Enniscorthy is the same place where this third attack has been on a girl in her 30s. Uh, and he, of course, was moved to Crumlin Children's Hospital in a very serious condition. He did all sorts uh, of, uh, of surgical intervention 
uh, to try and put him right. And again, this is another example of the very same dog, I believe. There's fairly alarming stats out now with the amount of people who have been attacked by dogs in Ireland. Well, the last full year is last year where 300 people were attacked by dogs in one year. So I've no idea what the figure will be by the time we get to the end of 2023. But with regards to an XL bully, Vincent Cashman is the CSPCA manager. And Vincent, good morning. Good morning, Neil. T- tell me about this particular breed of dog. Is it, is it a crossbreed? Is it, is it like, how, how, how does it work? Um, originally, they were um, pit bulls and Staffordshire bull terriers and other bull breeds were used to create this breed. So it's a mixed bull breed? It is, it, technically speaking, yes. Okay. So anyone who comes along and says they are, they, they are full XL bully, it all depends on the size. You see, you've, you've pocket bullies after appearing as well, uh, which are a smaller, more squat version. Um, and then you have the XL bullies, which can go anything up to 60 kgs in weight. I don't see them on the restricted breed list, though, do I? Or do they fall under Pitbull, American, English or staff? Well, if we are dealing with them, and most of the dog warden services, if they're dealing with them, would class them as um, a crossbred. So but does that they, mean they, they are on the restricted breed or not? Well, the dog wardens would consider it, but the breed itself, the listing of the breed is not on the restricted breeds list, which we can try them. And, and why are we hearing more about attacks from this breed of dog in the last six months or so? Probably because um, the press are definitely grasping it a little bit more. If you have a case before, we'd say you just reported there are 300 dog attacks. There's probably a lot more, but they're not being reported. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. And um, the, the, the problem with XLs is, and particularly since they're going to be banned now from the 1st of February in the UK, it's, it's definitely more to the forefront with people. So when they say banned in the UK, does that mean that anybody with one it would be seized, is it? Technically speaking, yes, you'd have to prove what uh, the, the the breed of dog, right? And in some cases, then that drags it out a little bit, because just because it looks like one doesn't mean it actually is one. Okay, so you'd right? have to know your stuff before you seize you'd, that dog. You'd have to know your stuff, and then um, what they are proposed. There's a couple of different things that they're talking about: either an outright ban or um, a register of ownership, so that if you have one, it must be microchipped. You're on a um, a register of owners and you must prove that you're suitable to have the breed. They're a big, big, definitely XLs um, are a very, very large dog and if it goes wrong, it can go severely wrong. And for the dog to go wrong, because I have been up close with, uh, you know, pit bulls even in this studio, Doberman Pinchers and stuff and they're the ones I've seen are the most placid dogs with the kindest looking, with the kindest owners or, or minders of them. Is it the breed or is it the owner that makes them attack? You can't, you can't say um, either because you can have the most placid dog in the world and something could just twig with the dog. It doesn't have to be an XL bully. It can be any breed. And they just either take a dislike to a noise, a smell, a sound, or a person, and that can be the trigger. So in the hands of somebody with a lead who can't handle the weight or the power of the dog, it's trouble ahead. It is. And the very fact that you have people... Like we'll say, no, there's a lot of local authorities and housing agencies are putting in bans in place that if you have a, res- a dog on the restricted breeds list, you you cannot keep them in the either uh, council-approved accommodation or private accommodation. So they're saying you can't keep 
um, the likes of Dublin. And, and, and that is the case with a number of local authorities around the country. They've implemented this ban for the list yes. of restricted breeds. But Cork doesn't appear to be on it. I see Galway, Dublin, Meath, Waterford and Wexford, but there's no mention of Cork. They're probably, they're all probably reviewing it. And in light of the, the amount of attacks, they, uh, I, I would think that they're, they're all reviewing it. But the problem with it then is if you come along, and it's the same with, with the Belgian Malmoz, which we think should be on the restricted breeds list, cannot fathom why they're not on it. Um, instead of getting a German Shepherd or an Alsatian, which I look, they're technically the same dog anyway, but getting a German Shepherd, which is on the restricted breeds list, They'll get um, a Belgian Malinois, which I think they're, they're four times um, more aggressive, more agile than a German Shepherd. But not they're on the restricted breezes. But not, and cannot fathom. We've been asking for a long time. We're getting emails back. Yes, it's it's being looked at, and thank you for your consideration, and blah, 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 blah. But while, while I see a list of the restricted breeds in Ireland, are there any dog breeds in Ireland actually banned? No, we don't have a banned breed list. And would the would the XL bully ban in the UK be the first dog they ever banned? No, they have they have four breeds on their banned list. So the they seem bull, to be yeah, go on. Yeah. Pitbull, um the Argentinian Togo is on it. Um I think there's a Brazilian Mastiff is on it. They're more more or less Mastiff or Bull breeds that are banned in the UK. So we're very much behind the eight ball when you compare to the UK because the Taoiseach has said that banning certain breeds is a step too far what we need is stronger enforcement of existing restrictions what would your response be to that? Um, stronger enforcement I'd like a definition of stronger enforcement you, you have you can only enforce a law you can, if, they're, if they're coming along there and you're relying on people to be a responsible dog owner um, if they're not, then what law are you going to use if somebody gets attacked by Of course, and they, they're, they're random attacks, so you can't ever prevent a random attack. No. There was talk um, 12 months ago that there was going to be an extra 40 dog wardens, um, more vehicles, more training, more equipment, because the breeds have changed. The Control of Dogs Act, it has worked very well. But unfortunately... The law, the the breeds of dog that, that most dog wardens are encountering now has changed. Mm. I mean, X, XL bullies only appeared in the last eight nine years in the UK. In Ireland, I'm going to say five years, maybe up around the east, and now they're all over the country. But in the we space of two days warden. now, you have sorry, go ahead. So you one dog owner, what? We we one dog warden who was nearly thirty years in the job said, when these dogs start appearing in huge numbers, they're retiring. Because there isn't, they're just, they can't, you won't be able to deal with these dogs. 60 kgs would be the average weight. You can have females around 45, 50 kgs in weight. Oh my God. And plus their their crop, the ear cropping as well. Ear cropping is banned in Ireland. And they're cropping the dog. They're talking about them making, they're they're a lovely dog, generally speaking. But they're actually making them more ferocious looking by cutting their ears. I know. And also it's the bite power, isn't it? Or the jaw power as well as the body weight. Square square pound, the pound pressure per square inch. And yet in the past 48 hours, we've had three women who were savaged by the same breed of dog. Having said that, though, is there any statistics to say that what dog breed actually bites and attacks the most? It would probably be either a Jack Russell or um, I'm only assuming here now again, but just going on our own our own dealings with people. You could be looking at um, a Jack Russell, 
collie mixes, but any any dog can bite you. But you're saying that the dog that seems to bite most is Jack Russell, but yet the Jack Russell doesn't appear on a restricted breed. Because he's not going to be, generally speaking, and I'm saying hypothetically, it's not fatal. Yeah, it's not the same kind of damage, I know what you mean. It's not the same. If, if you, you had too many cases in the UK, we have, we have been more or less getting away with it in Ireland, and that's the wrong term to use. But it's, it is getting more dangerous. We've had two fatalities in Ireland with dog attacks in the last two years, three years, which we didn't have up to that. We're getting a lot more dog attacks and kind of sitting back and saying that we're not... Um, even if they're not going to add dogs to the breeds list, to the restricted breeds list, they're going to have to set up a register that Joe Bloggs owns an XL bully. Yeah. It must be microchipped. Um, the microchipping laws in Ireland need to be it needs to be a complete review but it needs to be quick like a separate licence is it where there would be more examination of the licence holder kind of thing more or less yeah you're okay. giving them a weapon I mean you you can get your kids to school I just even talking to Claire this morning you can get your kids to school in a car or a Sherman tank the result is the same but you have to ask yourself why do you want this why do you want this breed in the first place and the money that's paid for them, I know we could talk all morning on this, but I think you were also saying that a pup would be something in the region of two and a half grand. There was there was a lot of people, since since COVID particularly, there's been a lot of people make, made a lot of money from these breeds. And it became a bit of a status symbol to have one with no thought of the potential damage that these dogs could do. Okay, so if things stay the same as they are, inevitably you're suggesting we'll be hearing more attacks like the recent days. I have no doubt we will. And the minute it's already been rumoured in the UK that um, if if the ban comes in, which I'd say it will, that there's already talk of people trying to get rid of their dogs, now sell their dogs in Ireland. Okay, pass them on to Irish customers. Yeah. All right, Vincent, yeah. thank you so much. Vincent Cashman, CSPCA manager. Your thoughts, particularly if you are in defence of dogs on the restricted breed and they get a bad rep, uh, text 0868104106 or indeed the otherwise, whether maybe, maybe you've been attacked yourself or been in an incident where uh, you got injured or badly frightened, text 0868104106. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Big birthday shout out to uh, Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, Elizabeth Taylor from Evergreen Street turns 84 today. The loveliest lady and Anne and all her friends hope that she has a fantastic day today. She's got a fantastic name anyway. So happy birthday to you today, Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, Oh my God, indeed. Start a campaign to close schools. It could be a green initiative to take our cars off the road. It would be a good place to start. I can't believe it took me less than 20 minutes from Cove to Mahan this week rather than the usual hour. And of course, that is the blessings of midterm. <laughs> so close the schools and it would be like that every morning. Um, also, with regards to issues um, in the Gaza Strip, not by accident did they hit the refugee camp. Why aren't people calling the events there genocide? Uh, we need to get out of the EU because it's not strong enough standing up to Israel. I would just like to say well done to the Irish, the Spanish and the Turkish governments for calling for a ceasefire in Palestine, while the rest of Europe seem to be calling for a pause. It's just not enough. And on different topics, there's something been happening overnight up in Mount Oval. Um, I got a text from somebody saying um, the state of Mount Oval last night, it was like a war zone. There were teenagers who had the place absolutely destroyed. They were off their heads, smashing up bottles and causing chaos. 
People in the area were totally frightened. Eventually, yes, the guards were called. Can't go on air. Got to go to work, says Joe. Anybody got further details? As if that wasn't enough to hear. Off their heads, smashing bottles, drunk, causing chaos. Up around, up around Mount Oval. Um, text 0868104106 on that one. Uh, regarding the vintners uh, and different licences, uh, taxi drivers had to suck it up and we lost 70 grand each with regards to our licences. It's called deregulation, people. Get over it, says Anthony. I'm sorry to say that opening till 6 o'clock in the morning is way behind the curve yet again regarding nightclubs. Any chance they would take a look around Europe and see the trends? Ibiza has introduced new closing times between midnight and 3 a.m., mainly for noise and public order offences. Mallorca is going the same way, and we are driving in the opposite. Uh, Meanwhile, dogs... Well, and the dangerous dogs or restricted breeds. Dogs were never a problem before. It's the clowns that own the dogs. I used to breed dogs and I was very careful about who I gave them to. And one other one, love the show. Neil, why don't you just look it up? So many people with these dogs, whether it's an XL bully or the other restricted breeds, they're up to no good and potentially have bad intentions. They're watching too much television and think that they're gangsters trying to train their dog to be the biggest and the strongest dog around, uh, says Danielle. So your thoughts on the dangerous dog list or indeed the amount of attacks. I will come back to it again throughout the course uh, of the morning. Text 086-8104-106. I'd mentioned earlier on that uh, I was going to be chatting with Richard Hogan, the uh, psychotherapist. He's written a cracking new book. It's called Home is Where the Start Is. Um, It's been awarded an Unpost Irish Book of the Year Award. um, And it's a very open an honest uh, catalogue, or indeed book, about his own upbringing and, and reaches out to many, many people in Ireland who probably had problem or chaotic, my apologies, problem or chaotic starts in their own lives, but it didn't define them. More on that after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. Joined by uh, the uh, psychotherapist and author, uh, Dr. Richard Hogan. Richard, good morning. Good morning, Neil. I see in the paper this morning, it's probably related to the book that you've written. Incidentally, the examiner saying that there's been a spike in children removed from the home where the guardian go in and take children out of the home because of the immediate and serious risk to the child. I mentioned that with regards to the dynamics of family life. Mm-hmm. Um, your your book, uh, it's, it's very open. It's very honest about your own experience as, as a child and teenager. Uh, growing up in what you describe a, a chaotic home setting, um, it, it 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 kind of opens the door on on your on your own family's life. Can I just, just curious? Can I ask you? Um, did you check with other family members before you were as brutally honest as as you were in the book? Did you did you go and see if they were okay with what you wanted to say? I did, Neil. I did, and I and I was very aware that you know by telling my story, I'm telling their story by proxy. So, um, and as I was writing the book. My own stories kept coming up, you know, and uh, I was trying to show that my life is the, is the theory in the book and practice. And so I did go to my brothers and I did go to my mother. And I did inform my father that I that this book was going to come out and that I was writing it. And I asked for their advice. And if they said to me, you know what, don't write the book, I would have said, OK, I, I won't put my story into it. But in fairness, you know, and um, I think it took great courage because people keep saying to me it, t- it took great courage for me. But actually much more courage for them because I had control over what I was saying. And um, yeah, and so they, they they said, "Look, this is your story to tell. Go for it." 
So you were the youngest son I in the family um, yeah. and uh, grew up with an alcoholic father in a chaotic household where your mother did her very best to hold it all together. Um, Absolutely. Uh, how, how, how difficult was it? Well, you see, alcoholism, Neil, and as, as your listeners will know, it impacts absolutely everybody in the family. And I suppose what, what I found so uh, difficult about it all is that the family functions so normally at times, and it could be absolutely beautiful family and, and loving. And as, as you said there, my mother did her best to, pr- to protect us and shield us from it. And so there was normality going on as well at the same time. And my grandmother lived with us for 20 years, and all of that was just lovely. And she'd be listening to Gren, watching Glen Rowan. We were playing the guitar together. But then, you see, with alcohol, you're walking on this eggshell. You're, ne- you're never on a kind of a solid footing. The ground is always shifting. And so you never know what to expect. And so one moment it could be it could be this loving, healthy, norm, normal experience, and the next it could be this incredible, chaotic experience. And I, for me, I found that very disruptive and very unsettling as a kid growing up because you just never knew what was going to happen. You never, you know, you were you were worried about who you might bring into the family in case they saw what was happening. And so you you all held a secret, you know. And that's the, that's families for you. Families are incredibly messy. They're incredibly complex. They're the most complex systems we'll ever come, come through. Uh, um, but they're secretive as well. And that's why I wanted to tell my story to show that we don't have to hold it like a secret. You know, that we can actually come out of this environment and it can be unsettling and it can be difficult. Neil, as a country, we have a very, very unhealthy relationship with alcohol. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and yeah. families really suffer because of that unhealthy relationship. And the book is a book of hope. I wanted to show people that, yes, you can have this negative experience, but you can thrive through it. You don't have to stay or you don't have to recall what Freud calls, you know, the, the compulsion to repeat. You don't have to repeat those behaviours. You can break free from them and find, you know, a nice sense of yourself and a healthy relationship with pe- people in your life. OK, so you, you were right when you point out the fact that no family is without its issues and problems. Perhaps it's the Irish way to keep them bottled up in secret. Absolutely, you know, say, yeah. say as an example, an alcoholic parent where there's violence mm. in the home. I imagine there's, there's actually no, no perfect Irish family, but you, you as a child, you were getting very inconsistent messages. You know, you talk yeah. about, you're describing there the happy times turning into uh, instantly turning to anger and chaos. So inconsistent messages, to say the least. And I imagine those experiences and those incidents get kind of recorded in the brain forever. Would it be the case that even a small child or a toddler would carry that trauma with them? Oh, there's no doubt about it, Neil. Those things write the paradigms of, uh, of how you speak to yourself. And, you know, your early attachments, and that's one of the first chapters in the book, your early attachments. And if your attachment to your primary caregiver, <clears throat> excuse me, is a bit unsettled, is, is a bit dysfunctional, or if it's avoidant, or, you know, if it's anxious, that creates incredible problems for the child as they move forward. It actually impacts on who they choose to go into a relationship. Yeah. But it also impacts on, like, how they give and experience love. And it's very important to understand those early attachments because I think that's what the book is going to get to me is we're all driven, as you said yourself, the family isn't perfect, no family is perfect, no human being is perfect. We expect our parents to be perfect and of course they're human beings themselves and they came through their own mess out of their own messy family system and when we start to see that, we start to forgive. We start to realise that, yeah, they struggle themselves and maybe they, they use some negative things to help themselves, like alcohol, and that filtered into my understanding of myself, my relationship with them. And then that, you know, that, that can have an incredible, as you said there, it's a very good point, it's a very insightful point, that can have an endless impact, like a ripple, you know, in, in the lake there. That can have an endless impact on someone's development. And I meet in my clinic, you know, someone at 60 or 70 years of age trying to figure out why they always went for the wrong person or why they were always in dysfunctional relationships. And when we trace it back to the genogram, 
you start to see, you know, the complexity of what happened to them as a child and how they developed the things that they said about themselves. None of us, Neil, come into this world thinking, I'm not that good. I'm not good enough. I'm not likable. I'm not beautiful. I'm not funny. I'm not nice. None of us come into the world with those ideas. We learn those ideas from the families that we have to navigate and the society that we navigate and school, of course, and our peer group. And they form those paradigms that can be entrenched and stay with us forever. But that's what the book is saying. Mm. Yes, they can, unless you, you become aware of them and you break them. But it's, it's, it's very sad, actually, looking at it through the eyes of you as, as a young boy, um, you know, where, where, you know, you should be bringing your pals home or being able to hang out with them in your own house. Whereas what I am reading in the book is you, you would be frightened and panicked turning around the corner to the estate in fear that your father's car would be there. That really struck home with me. Yeah, that's funny that you say that, Neil, because I got so many emails and letters and messages on social media about that image. I wrote, uh, you know, when I was a kid coming home, coming home from school or coming home from my friends, whatever, and I was walking up to the estate, I'd stand on my tippy toes to see if the car was home. And if the car was home, then a terrible feeling would like, you know, just engulf me. Uh, You know, I didn't know what I was going into when the car wasn't there. I could relax because the car being home meant that my dad was there. And you just didn't know how that was going to be. It could be fine or it could be chaotic. And it was that uncertainty, Neil. And I think that's the lived experience of a lot of people. And I think that's why that image struck so many people. Yeah, because you should be delighted. Your heart should jump because your daddy's home early or he's there. I know. You know? I know. That's the sadness of it. That's the loss. That's the loss of it all. And I think, I suppose, with alcohol, Neil, what a terrible loss. You know, I don't have any anger. Was it it also the case that you'd be at home, perhaps, and worried about the key in the door? Oh yeah, the sound of the key coming in, absolutely, and and later at night time and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you wouldn't know what's gonna what's gonna happen there for sure. Um, and that 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 is all that uncertainty that changes how you speak to yourself. So you know that that's a really unsettling kind of um, dynamic to go. But that but that sure. person because um, alcohol shouldn't make people necessarily angry or, or kick off. But yet, unfortunately, you talk about the smallest things could kick it off. You know, the tiniest things would turn into a huge rage of violence and and, and what have you. Um, but 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 it must be an unhappy person in there to begin with, surely, Richard. Well, I, I think in my experience, I do a lot of work uh, around alcohol. I, alcohol is a depressant. Um, I was only talking to somebody recently whose parents were heroin addicts and she said to me it was much easier when they were on heroin than when they were on alcohol because when they were on alcohol it was chaotic and aggressive and you never knew what was happening when when they were on heroin they were pacified you know they were knocked out and they were quiet and I think with alcohol it is it it does I think it warps your personality Um, and I think if you use it you know to satiate negative feelings it can spiral your life into chaos and then you start to... I think you become very self-loathing very quickly when you're an alcoholic because you realise the, you, you the world that you're visiting and your family and nobody wants to bring that into their family. Yeah. And I think that, that creates all sorts of further turmoil and then you drink further to get rid of those feelings and it just creates this terrible, terrible internal intrapsychic life. But was the there, were there apologies? Were there, I'll try better? Were there, I won't ha- it won't happen again moments? Oh, there were, of, of course. With I think with anyone who's struggling with alcohol, they try to they try to go off alcohol, and, and, and unfortunately, sometimes those were nearly the worst times because you know somebody would really struggle with sleep then, and they'd be more agitated, and they're coming off a substance, you know, and, and and not doing it properly. Of course, there's going to be all sorts of problems there. Um, but uh, yeah, my you know my father my father was a good person. He was a, a very talented person. He was um, you know, and I admired him so much. 
and we're we're friendly now, and we have a uh, you know a nice relationship now um, after all these years, which is great. But you know, Neil, the message I'm trying to say is that you know alcohol has a devastating impact on people. Yeah. But if you grow up in a family where there's addiction present or there's dysfunction. You can thrive. I am the living example of that. I know, but before all of that, Richard, you read in the book uh, extensively about the fact that you yourself then, I think you were only about 15, visited um, and got some psychoanalysis and went with your mam, and then you were you were prescribed Prozac. Although although I wouldn't have thought that you you weren't suffering with depression. There were other things going on. Well, I think that's probably what happens, Neil, you see, and uh, something I speak a lot about is that we roll out the medical model very quickly because it's much easier to think, well, here's a pill to solve that, whereas I wasn't, you know, necessarily depressed. My environment was depressing. There's a big difference, you know, and most of our depression, I think, comes from ecological. It comes from the environments that we're, na- we're, we're, nav- we're navigating. They're pressing down on top of us. Working clinically, I would see that with, you know, teenagers a lot. And I do t- think we tend to roll out the medical model because that's easier to think about. Just but it means GPs are too, ki- too quick to give out scripts for psychotropic uh, drugs, perhaps? I think they are, and, I, and that's not a negative comment on, on GPs because I think GPs realise that CAMS and the waiting list to get to see people is so extensive and so long that this will help the family to kind of like, you know, almost give them respite from what, whatever's happening there. And I think that's a huge issue. A huge problem in our society currently is the level of care that we're, we're providing our families with. I, I think it's falling short massively. I think CAMS, as we've seen by the report there from the Mental Health Commission, that's a, another huge issue. For me as a kid, you know, when I went to visit somebody, um, they were they were more impressed by my father's stature than really figuring out you know what what was going on with me, and so they just prescribed you know Prozac and take that and and everything would be fine. Of course, I knew it wasn't, but it, it placed all the problems within me. You see, when you when you hand a kid a tablet, you're saying, well, all the issues there are intrapsychic; they're inside you. It's not that they're outside you; yeah. they're external, and yeah. so that's how I felt. I understand the main message of the book, obviously, is that one can learn to rewire themselves and not to take their past with them into the future. And that's exactly. the big message here. You also detail many, many case histories of people that you have met in similar or not necessarily always similar situations. Um, but, you know, do, do, so, so when you're when you're 14, 15 or 16 do, and you're getting bigger, did you challenge your dad? I know I know that he, he would taunt you. It's, it's awfully sad to hear that he, he knew that you were on Prozac and he taunted you about that. But did, did you ever kind of kind of stand up and say, OK, well, I'm going to try and stop this or I'm going to try and protect my mother? Ah, oh, yeah, there was always those moments for sure. Um, and my last my last interaction with him was a physical altercation. Um, which is very, which was very troubling for me. Uh, um, I was about 19 years of age, and it stayed. Re- and I didn't speak to my father after that for about 10 years, um, and that was very troubling. You know, nobody wants to have a physical fight with their father. And, and one evening, he made some comment about you know taking Prozac, and I lost my temper, and uh, and we got into a physical fight, and and um, it was just it just wasn't you know that's the kind of stuff that really disrupts you for a long time. And we didn't speak for 10 years, but one day I was sitting on the couch and myself and my girlfriend, who, who became my wife, were talking about having a family. And I became emotional thinking, I don't want to bring, I don't want to bring this stuff into my, I don't want to be this parent. Because I think any of us could fall into this trap. I think so many people fell into the trap of alcohol learned behavior. and aggression. You know, it was learned behavior. You could easily repeat that. I was like, I don't want that to be me. I don't want to carry forward any of these negative behaviors into my life with my children. If I'm lucky enough, if I'm blessed enough to have children, yeah. I don't want to carry any of that stuff forward. And so I reached back out to him and I met him. 
And um, I just did it for myself more than anything, just to kind of say, I, you know, I forgive you kind of thing. And uh, I don't want to hold any of this negative stuff. And, and it really freed me up, Neil. You know, and that, that idea about forgiveness is a very important thing. And, uh, and I but think did he, okay, I know we've jumped well ahead, but just staying on yeah. that point, during that, but that wasn't necessarily a reconciliation, was it? Because no. how open was he to taking on board his responsibilities of, of, your, of your childhood? Not at all, really, to be honest. And I think that's probably a part of alcohol as well, you know, that you avoid the responsibility of what your behaviour has brought into other people's lives, especially the lives of people that you brought into the world. And, I, and yeah, no, there wasn't. I didn't really go for I didn't go for the reconciliation. I went kind of for myself more than anything else. I, I kind of knew that there wouldn't be any massive gesture of an apology or, 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 or sorry. No, I wasn't going for that. It would have been great. Don't get me wrong. I would have loved to have heard that and, and it would have been very healing, but I wasn't, okay. you know, I, yeah. I wasn't necessarily looking for it. Yeah, but there was there was periods where you were rebellious as a consequence to this. Yeah, you talk about yeah. in the book where you, you you came across as in the book as angry, rebellious, very unhappy at a time in your life, late teens, perhaps when you should be off on a fantastic journey. You were hurting. Absolutely, Neil. That was my early my my late teens, early twenties. I was very angry, I have to say. And uh, when I think about myself now, when I think about the person there, two different people altogether, um, I walk, walk, I was walking around with a lot of hurt, you know, and a lot of stuff that happened and the separation of my parents. I was embarrassed about it. I felt responsible for it as well for a lot of reasons. I felt very responsible for it. So I was carrying a, a lot of uh, guilt and ah, shame. I, know, I was waiting for you to mention that word because you talk about guilt a lot. How yeah. could you carry guilt? I mean, you were a young, impressionable child in a world of addiction, noise, aggression, chaos. The guilt shouldn't have been on your shoulders. It on your father's shoulders. I mean, he, he like... An example of his guilt should be missing decades of his children's life, grandchildren, um, you know, uh, family events, parties, Christmases, birthdays, christenings. Why would you have any guilt? I know, but that's the way I think um, children have a terrible um, ability to kind of internalize everything and make it about themselves. And I see that when I work clinically with other children whose parents are separated, they, they, they internalize that and think it's their fault. I certainly did that. And I felt shameful as well, Neil, you know, about the fact that my parents had separated. Um, I, I did feel very shameful about, around that idea, you know, that um, that they didn't stay together. And, uh, you know, my other friends had their, their parents stay together and I'd be down in their families and I'd see them all function very, very nicely and having loving, you know, dinners and all that kind of stuff. I felt real guilt around that, you know, for many reasons that I explain in the book. But Because yeah. your experience could be a dinner plate being fired at the wall because the food was too hot and a child exactly. is to witness yeah. that. Exactly. And then when, you, when you're a teenager, you start dating people and you start to see other people's houses and you start to see that, um, you know, their their lives are remarkably different than yours. So you, car- course- you carried guilt as a... Plo- as to plo- I would have understood if you had seen yourself as a victim. No, I never really saw myself as a victim. I, yeah. saw, I, I, I was, I was, I was kind of guilty and shameful. Because that trauma at a young age for many can be a gateway into all sorts of problems in adolescent life and, and one could understand it. It could even lead to repeating the behaviour um, in the son or a daughter and as as they get into relationships or settle down. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's no doubt about it, but I was very aware I was very aware of that always. You know, I was always very interested in psychology and I was very aware of the, the idea of repeating behaviours and, and, and getting into dysfunctional relationships. And so I was very careful about the person who I actually thought about settling down with. I knew that, you know, I wanted to have someone who would help me to stand up 
you know, not not collapse. And um, and that was a really important turning point in my life too, meeting a really incredible person yeah. who helped me to stand yeah. up and yeah. be, a, a, be the man I could be. The other incredible and, person uh, in your life would, would be, of course, your mother, who was treading water, trying to keep it all together for many years. Am I right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and that's what the book is trying to show as well, that that is alcohol, you know, it impacts on everybody. But my mother tried her best uh, and and succeeded at times. You know, we did have a lovely childhood growing up as well at the same time as having this addiction present in the family. We had loving moments of going off to the beach when, the, when it was sunny and all that kind of stuff. We had lovely moments as a family. So, And I don't want for anyone to think for a second that this is a poor me story because no, it really isn't. No, I you mean, know, it's it, about thriving. It, it it also talks with many other people that you helped or went through similar aspects in their life. You 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 use a process called a genogram. What is That's the right. genogram about? Yeah, the genogram is like a family tree where you trace all the patterns and the kind of like this, this what, what's in the family system. It's incredible Neil, when you see it. You know, when I do a genogram, let's say somebody's had a child early in their life at 17 or 16 and they see the mother had a child early in her life and the grandmother had a child early or addiction is present and you go back into the grandfather, there was addiction there. You go back into their parents, there was addiction there. You see all the patterns coming down through the family. It's it really is one of the most remarkable tools that a psychotherapist can use just to kind of like, you know, elucidate all the patterns and the beliefs and the values that the family holds and how they pass down. Because we all think we just come here into the world and we all have this free will. But the reality is there's a huge amount of our genetic code as well. Impacting and, on us. Yeah, exactly. And our family history impacting on us as well. And so the story we tell ourselves about who we are is coming down to our generations. And there's some patterns in our family that just play out and repeat. And that some of that can be addiction, depression, mental health issues, yeah, abusive absolutely. issues, controlling parents and what have you. But you're at pains, though, to point out that people, you included, shouldn't label themselves as victims, shouldn't write off their future because of their past. I mean, how is that done? I mean, you can't just forget your past and, and just rewire your life. I mean, that, that's so traumatic. You, you, how, how can you do that? No, that's a very good question. And what I'd always say is, you know, it's the Carl Jung idea. You're not what happened to you. You're who you choose to become. And so figuring out what happened is a very important first step. And I often think maybe psychotherapy sometimes re-traumatizes people and, and allows them to stay in the trauma rather than trying to work out of the trauma and trying to figure out who you want to become. And out of what happened to you in your childhood and maybe mess or addiction or whatever happened there, how you can learn to thrive because... If you view yourself as a victim, Neil, to it all, it's a very disempowering position to find yourself in because you're powerless. But actually, if you don't view yourself as a victim, and yes, this happened, but this is who I'm going to become, and you start to make a few changes in your life, like I did, and that's what the book is trying to show, is like, I made those changes, and it's, it's almost like an astronaut tweaking an, an instrument. In a couple of months, you look back and realize, geez, look how far I've come. Look, 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 look where I was. Look at how I thought about myself. And now look at me. Look at, and now look where I am in my life. And it, takes, it, it does take a bit of intentionality at the start, but I think anyone can do it. And they should be kinder to themselves. I think we all need to be kinder to ourselves, no matter what family you came out of. We are primed for negative thinking. You know, our brain is is designed to be negative. And so, uh, say, currently teenage girls, they put a post up there on Instagram, and it's like, gorgeous, hon, fabulous, stunning, babe, you look lovely. And then someone says, I think your eyelashes are gappy. They'll consume that, right? Wow. So we're always, we're always looking for something negative. To we automatically about. default to the negative, don't we? 
We do because it's more beneficial for our survival to think the noise in the woods is not benign than it is benign. So we're always looking for the threat. We're always looking for the negativity. And we just have to have a bit more compassion. So when did the penny ourselves. when did the penny actually drop for you? Because you came through your teen years, you did your college thing, you, you, you started yeah. teaching, you were still carrying a lot of that weight. Uh, when when did you make the change? Yeah, thanks, Neil. That's a good question. Um just before I had my kids, really, you know, in my early, very late late twenties, early thirties, I really worked at myself, and you know, and I went back and I did a master's in family psychotherapy, and that work itself, that was a four year master's, and then a PhD in it all. All of that work really helps you to kind of figure out what motivates you, what drives you, what you know, who do you want to be, and why do you think this way. I mean, it's just incredible work. But really, for me, honestly, Neil, the massive change came bef- when I had my children. But before that, was you, were you worried about having children? Were you, you, th- 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 that it would turn out the same? I was worried. I'd be, I, I was very worried that I could be my father, for sure. I was worried, because I, I think any of us can fall into that trap of alcohol and aggression and become a bit disillusioned with your life and bitter about things. I think that can happen to any of us. And so I was worried about that. And so I knew I wanted to go out there and strive and push myself and see what I was capable of. Because I knew I had talent as well, you know, and I, I struggled with dyslexia growing up and that kind of like gave me a, a negative voice as well. So all of that stuff pushed me towards thinking about myself negatively, but I kind of like changed it around and I started really doing well in college and getting very good results. And You know, and all those kind of things helped to kind of rebuild how I was talking to myself. And then I wanted my kids not to dread the car. I wanted my kids to, when they saw me coming in the door, to be excited. You know, I wanted them to be having a, an, a good, a good, healthy, positive upbringing where the father was there to kind of support them and be loving and, and be strict at times, of course, like everybody else, and get it wrong at times, um, like everybody else. But I just wanted to be a positive force in their lives, for sure. And that was my motivation to change. And, you know, as a professional, and this is hypothetical, mm. if you were ever in a, in a situation whereby you could analyse your dad as the professional that you are, um, how, how would you talk to him if he were in your, in your surgery or, 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 or in your office sitting with you? Very hard question. You know, you don't really, you try not to psychoanalyze your family because you're so close to them. It's like, it's like the smell in the house. You, well, know, you, you don't, you don't know it. But I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. And I suppose, as I analyze it, and I'm not saying I'm absolutely correct in this, there was a very talented, very talented man there who I, I would imagine felt that he didn't live up to that talent and came out of a, di- a difficult family. And I suppose what I would try to help there is unpack all that, that family. What's that? Frustration? Disappointment? Labelled, um, overlooked, you know, not included, excluded from things, difficult, difficult dynamics with siblings, all of that stuff, is the, which, is the fa- which is the triacle of family. Try to unpack all of that stuff and help someone to lean towards more positive So behavior. did what happened to you potentially happen to him? Um, I would imagine so. Maybe not to the same degree, um, but uh, along those lines. So, like, but is there any upside to this? I mean, just bizarrely, did did he forge you into the man you are today, I wonder? Well, my mother did, and my grandmother did, and my siblings did, and of course my father is in there too, there's no doubt about it, I have his genetic code in me, and, and you know, he, he, he was there, and he was in my life for sure. But what, what I would say, Neil, one of the greatest gifts my dad gave me was, I never shriek or shirk from any conversation that might be conflicted. 
I don't care about conflict. It doesn't worry me whatsoever. I grew up in a conflicted environment. And my wow. father was very conflicted. So it, it's like it's almost armor to me. And my brothers would say the same. It's the greatest gift that our dad gave us is that we can face down difficult people and not worry about it. Do you, and, you know, it, just, it's just, it is a little bit of a gift. There. There's no doubt about that. Do you, do you, do you forgive him? Absolutely. Do you love him? I do, of course. Do you think he loves you? Um, I, I think as much as he can, I suppose. I think possibly. Does he read the book? No. Would you like him to read the book? No, <laughs> I don't think. So. I don't think so. Why? Uh, you know what I feel at this point in my life, at my age, I feel the incredible loss that this man experienced. I don't feel any anger. I did for sure in my 20s. And if I met him walking down Patrick Street there, things could have gone very badly. But um, not, uh, you know, I got over that anger very, very early on, I, I suppose. But I see the loss. I see when I had my kids, he was, he was absent. There was a loss there when I graduated from college, when I got a Fulbright scholarship, when I got, you know, books published. My brothers had their kids. I had my kids. Massive loss. That's, that's, a, that's an awful lot to lose out of your life for a substance, you know. Cause there's sounds a good man as if there. you feel sorry for him. I do feel sorry for him because I know there's a good person in there. I know there's a decent person there and a loving person. Um, but whatever went really down in his life coming up and in his family environment really disrupted his development. And um, and then, of course, we're, we're talking about the 60s and the 70s. Alcohol was what you used. And, the, and then the whole construction on silent men, you know, not expressing their feelings. So you used alcohol to satiate all those swirling feelings. I mean, thankfully, we're moving away from that now, but we're, we still have huge problems with alcohol, and it's a very destructive substance. And in a family dy- dynamic, should people be more honest about that and talk about it and admit to it and uh, deal with it face on rather than, you know, we came in at the start of this conversation saying that all too often it's the Irish way to keep it bottled up in secret and it's shameful and keep it in the family. W- what would you say to that? Yeah, I think we should talk more about it. That's why, that's why I put my story into it. Um, and the amount of people who wrote to me saying thank you for expressing my story because that was my childhood too. You know, my story is not a unique story. It's a very common story in Ireland. Um, and we keep it secret so it seems unique, you know, but it's absolutely not. The amount of people, Neil, who've said to me thank you for expressing that, that was my childhood as well, will show you that this is not a remarkable, uh, unique story. This is a very ordinary, very normal story, unfortunately, in an Irish context. Well, it is a remarkable story. It is a very open and honest story. And I would think that if anybody reads any book with regards to family dynamics, that this should be the one. Home is where the start is. Uh, I read another book some years ago, just as a by the way, by another uh, psychologist who wrote a book called Families Love Them and Leave Them. Um, I think that's kind of the message. Don't let it define you. Yeah. Absolutely. We can all become who we want to become, Neil. We're not prisoners to this stuff. Once we start to see it, we start to see the invisible forces that drive us, we can all learn how to thrive. And we all deserve to thrive. That's the reality. We deserve to be more compassionate with ourselves and we deserve to go out there and flourish in our lives. Sending you good thoughts, Richard. Thank you so much for taking the call. Look after yourself. Super guy, Dr. Richard Hogan, the psychotherapist. If there is one book, as I say, without fear of repeating myself, uh, this is the one. Home is Where the Start Is by Richard Hogan. Go get yourself a copy. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 106.
Red FM. We should all be kinder to ourselves, lads. We really and truly should. Um, and uh, I think Richard actually and the book will give people an awful lot of hope who came through traumatic childhoods and unfortunately maybe many are still struggling with it. The book will help in that regard. But uh, if anybody would like to share, might be the easiest thing in the world to come on air, but certainly by email, neil at redfm.ie particularly if you came through a similar scenario and managed to rewire your own future. Uh, for want of a better term, it could give an awful lot of confidence to others. Uh, if you share your own story, you can also text 0868 104 106, just like this one. I Neil, I can relate so much to Richard having been brought up in an alcoholic home. The fear that my father instilled in us was unimaginable. We had a gate that squeaked, and when we heard that, we ran to bed shaking under the covers. I remember getting panic attacks at 10 years old, uh, but uh, didn't know what they were or why. That fear stays with you all your life. And I saw that with my siblings, we all had some sort of anxiety, depression or mental health issues. I'm sober myself now over six years, uh, and it was my comfort until it became a problem to me, alcohol. I still have issues with mental health, but I'm a lot better off without alcohol. Counselling and talking about what happened in my childhood helped an awful lot. We as kids went through hell. Totally dysfunctional parents. My mum was a codependent and tried to keep everything together. And I remember as a very small child praying that my father would die. Thank you for that very open and honest text. I'm delighted that you're in a much better place and you deal with it on a day-to-day basis. Um, For you, it was the squeaking gate. Uh, For Richard, it was the sight of the car parked in the driveway or outside the house that would absolutely uh, lead to uh, panic and anxiety and stress and worry. Um, And it shouldn't be that way. It should be big, tall, kind fathers who lift you up into their arms and give you the biggest bursting hug and you're delighted to see them. All too often it isn't that way. Again guys, if in any way you are disturbed by my conversation this morning but disturbed is probably the wrong word but I think you know what I'm saying. The Samaritans are always at the end of the phone on 116123 and Childline is a number available to children uh, on 1-800-666-666 very important book, very important book. Home is where the start is. So do text on that, guys. Text 0868104106. I would never give out uh, p- private details of anybody in any way, shape or form to anyone. Uh, just ahead of 11 o'clock, um, here's, a, here's a story of unimaginable kindness and intervention. Uh, Phil, good morning. Actually, good I'll come morning, back to that one in a minute. Let me talk to Phil first, if you don't mind. Phil, go ahead. Morning to you. How are you? Morning, Neil. Uh, good, good. Just what was that incident that you wanted to report? What was it? So on the 29th of September, um, my, I was off work that day and I was at home and my kids were out playing and they, this was after school hours now, so about three, half three. And my son came into the sitting room and was like, oh, there's someone chasing me with a blaze. And I started laughing. I said, what game are you playing, you know, because they'd be playing Minecraft, you know, pretending to be just doing kids what kids are doing, right? Yeah, a blade is serious stuff, though. And then I said, no, he was like, no, dad, it's a knife. So... So what? So threw my shoes, ran out. I said, "Show me what's going on." So down to the start of the estate, there was two little boys um, standing there with their hands behind their back, and they, they said to them, uh, "I said, what have you got?" They were like, "Oh, one fella walked up to me and he showed me this like cucumber chopper, you know." So I took it off him and I looked at the other boy. I said, "What have you got?" And he said, "Nothing." I said, "I won't do anything. I just want to see." So he whipped out a kitchen knife blade, a kitchen knife blade, and a about chopper. Four inches long, about four inches long. The knife was. 
So I took it off. How old are they? I know, four and five. Give up. Go on. So I walked. I walked to the neighbor, the parents' house, knocked on the door. Mother answered, looking for the husband. I asked for the husband. She wasn't there. So I said to her, I showed her the blade. I said, your kids chasing my kids, saying, oh, we're going to kill you, and I'm calling the guards. And she said, oh, no, no, you can't, you can't. I said, I'm calling the guards. So I called the guards. You kind of have to, like, wouldn't you, Phil? Sure, you've no choice. You've no choice. Jesus, that kid could have killed himself or someone else that day. And the parents are unaware. Now, this isn't the only thing that's happened. These kids have been robbing toys from other kids, um, punching, hitting other kids, and their parents are never there to be seen. Now, there's eight of these kids in this four-bedroom house, which also shouldn't be there because it's council house. Um, but sure, like, why, 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 why shouldn't they be there? Are you saying there's too many kids, is it? There's too many kids in one house. Okay. I mean, like, when you when you are going for a council house, you have to be, you have to have room. Okay. You know? Okay, but, but so, nonetheless, there's eight children. Did the guards arrive? Uh, no. So, four hours later, I'm still waiting on... Do you tell uh, the guards that they're like four or five-year-olds going around with chopping blades and knives? I, 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 explained, I explained everything in detail to them. So, the guard rang me and was like, oh, yeah. Uh, so, I rang Angus Street, and then they were like, well, you need to ring Black Rock. So I rang BlackRock, and then they were like, right, they took all the information, we'll be up to you soon. Perfect. Right. You're Southside, without giving further details on that, you're Southside? Yeah, I am. Okay. So, um, nothing came of it, four hours later, I'm out talking to the neighbours, my next-door neighbours, who's Polish, the other neighbours, Bulgarian, right? We're all, all our kids are very friendly with each other, and I, I'm explaining to the neighbours what went on. And then... Two minutes later, as we're out talking, us, us uh, neighbours, this man starts strolling up to, to us. And he said, who called the guards? And I said, uh, who are you? And he was like, I'm the kid's uh, father. I was like, okay. So I called the guards. And then he's like, oh, you racist bastard. And all racist? Sorry, what's, what's the racist card being thrown for? What's it's that got to do with anything? There was no apology from him. All his thing was, he was annoyed that the guards were called. So what I was annoyed then was, the guards called to him, Never come to me to look at the weapon. Or so they did them. call then? They called to the house. Yeah, you had the weapons. I had the weapons. They never called to me. They never took my statement of what went on or my, or, you know, my kid's explanation of what happened. And I have this fella coming up abusing us and harassing us saying that we, we are uh, racist. Why racist? Is it, that, is it that they've, they've come from another country and settled down to live here or something, is it? Yes, they're Romanian. Yeah. Okay. He said, you don't like he said, you don't like Romanian. I said I said my neighbour here is Bulgarian and Polish. And you I can't, but you, you no can't problem. deal with a response like that. That's no, infuriating. No. This is not about Absolutely. the fact that they're Romanian. This is not race. Well, you know that. I don't have to explain it to you. Well, no, I'm I've, I'm nothing against anybody like that. You could be a Martian, and I don't care. It's got to do with safety of children, and that's all they're down to. And then he just stormed off and said, "Oh, you." just freaking out like no apology and nothing so I waited a couple of days and still nothing from the guards so I strolled down to the guard station myself with the weapon handed it into them and what did you have was it the kitchen knife or the chopping blade the kitchen knife because the chopping blade was more like a plastic thing but I said I had the more dangerous weapon I handed it into the guard station and he said oh is that the kids running around with knives I said so you know about it and he was like yeah but it's a different guard investigating it I said, well, get this guard who is investigating this to call up to me today or whenever he's on duty and I need the statement and something to go further about this. And that was the 29th 
of September and there's no the 1st of November and still nothing. So all of October went and nobody... I mean, I think, to, to, to be fair, I think they did, far be it for me to be criticising an overworked Garda Shikana force, but I think they dropped the ball on that one. They should have called to you. They should have. Absolutely. Absolutely. They so, should have called to you. Um, like, any, anything well, since? But even, no, even listen, it. even a visit from the Garda Shikana tends to sometimes put manners on parents. Like, maybe it's made a difference, has it? Well, look, the kids haven't been out of their house since... Now, may, like, they could be under house arrest. Look, it's not the first time the, there's been a complaint about that family. Um, but it's just the fact that nothing has been kind of done about it. You should and be able to have your children out playing in the park safely, and your neighbours should be as well. But you clearly would be a little slow, would you, to allow them out unsupervised? Uh, well, you see, we'd be supervising it like my son was seven, so he's he's up with his friends, but he's always in front of the house, so he's never like down around where I can't see him. Well, all I know is it never used to be that way. Kids were able to run free. No, no, I couldn't. I I couldn't. No, I wouldn't have that. Um, but even at the fact that he is out the front, and and that happened was scary, you know. So before this incident with the knives, there was punching, hitting, robbing toys, harassing the other yeah, kids and, and stuff and like that. Yeah, and a couple of hours before that, my neighbour had showed me pictures of what the kids, like they were pulling the, his son along the ground and he scratches all up his back from the top to the bottom. And like they were dragging him along the floor, you know. it's There was, there was no parenting with those, with those children in that family. Yeah, it was, it's, it's, it's worrying and frustrating as a parent rearing your family as best you can to see what could be described as somewhat feral children with no supervision whatsoever. Would you come together as, as maybe a group of parents and go visit the Gardaí? Because this may happen again if those kids well, aren't see, reprimanded. My, me and a neighbour went down, the neighbour's son who was dragged along the floor, so we went to Toker Gara Station because at the time Black Rock Home was closed and all your one said to us was, you need to go to Black Rock Gara Station, it's not the two of us. Yeah. Even though the two of us went, and we were, like, it was the only time two of us were off at the well, same time. Well, you're concerned parents, like, I mean, there was a knife pulled on your child, you know? Exactly, exactly. And also, you got to, like, also, for those children, as they get older and grow up themselves, what kind of a life are they going to have, you know? That's, that's what we were saying, too, you know? If they're doing this at four or five, what are they going to do at 15, 16? Awful. That's awful. That's quite worrying. What's your next move? Uh, I don't know. Like, people were telling me to go to a superintendent and kind of follow up with, you know, the higher authority of the guard, if you call it. But I, I just think that they're right at this stage. Like, now, okay. I have... I've got onto the city council about it and I, all I've got was send me an email and writing what happened. That's all. So. That wouldn't be a bad idea for it to be on their file anyway, you know? Um, well, it is, it is. I sent that email. You need to respect there. your property, but you need to also respect your neighbours and Cork City Council are landlords, so get it on their record anyway in the event of anything else happens. Would it be okay if we called uh, Garda Press just to see if they've got a statement of a report of that incident? Of course, Neil, no problem. Okay, might, that might make a difference. Thanks, Phil. Do stay in touch if there are updates, all right? Will do, will do, appreciate it. Thank All right, you. my man, stay safe. Text 0868104106. Uh, your thoughts, your, your texts and calls are always welcome. Back after 11, guys. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show. Ready.
FM. Just before quitting time today, uh, another couple of pairs of tickets to give away for the ballet. Cork City Ballet um, have Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake at the Cork Opera House from the fourth, uh, from the second to the fourth of November. Inclusive uh, ballet lovers, young and old, and a great family night out, uh, celebrating their thirtieth anniversary with the Cork Opera House and a full-scale production of Swan Lake. So we'll open the phone lines on that just before midday today. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106, particularly with regards to your own family dynamics um, um, and your own rearing. Um, I was talking with Richard Hogan about his, of course, and I think maybe hopefully people will be, will be able to take confidence uh, from his story where you can make changes, where you can leave it behind and, you know, work towards being a better person, which is what you deserve because of, you know, ins- issues in your life that were of no making of your own. So do text 86 um, and it may even help to share and it certainly will help others to feel that they weren't alone because in this specific incident, where we're, well, in this specific storyline, uh, much of it had to do with alcohol and growing up and a child in the home of an alcoholic parent and all too often uh, I don't know whether it's an Irish thing it may well be other countries as well where we are we bury it we don't talk about it we're ashamed of it we're embarrassed by what people will think when really it should be about blowing open the windows here and opening the doors and letting in the fresh air and talking about it text 0868104106 Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. And I will come back to those texts and topics throughout the course of the rest of the morning and indeed tomorrow, so if you wish to share. But we were talking an awful lot about Halloween over the last few days and uh, Kevin has an excellent audio report that he did with uh, Cork's oldest trick-or-treaters from down in Caritool. I'll come back to that. But, you know, over the last few days, we're talking about Samhain and, and Halloween and uh, a time of the year when the spirit world is closest to the living. You know, we talk about All, Soul, All Souls and All Saints Day and the period of, of, of Samhain. I read a, a, an amazing article in the, in the Telegraph, sorry, my apologies, in the, in the Mail uh, about a week or 10 days ago. Uh, and it was talking about the significance of, um, you know, flowers and feathers and, and, and rainbows and, and birds um, as a way of maybe a loved one communicating with you uh, from the, the other side or, you know, having, having left this this world um, and it, 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 I, we share this online actually asking you guys you know what, what kind of signs have you had from loved ones who have passed away I'll read out the full text uh, a little later on but the ones that kept coming up was the robin little bird the robin many texts with regards to that one butterflies came up an awful lot finding coins in different parts of the house appeared but robins time after time after time for others it would be feathers or butterflies or rainbows and my intention on that was to talk with uh, TJ Higgs one of the UK's leading psychic mediums just on that then I went on to our website last night and I found myself an hour and a half later still in there watching her working with people um, communicating uh, with people and loved ones on the other side it was it was a fascinating hour and a half to see her at work she joins me by phone TJ good morning Good morning. So, it's, so, so, so my, my interest in you is much broader than just signs from beyond the grave. I mean, it sounds like it. I'm sorry, you lost an hour and a half. <laughs> I, 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 I don't, I don't want it back. I, I was quite happy to, to sit and watch you work. But you, you know, when we talk of, um, well, we'll come back to the signs. Don't get me wrong, mm. I will. But just in your own life experience, I'm mad keen to talk to you about that, um, because you, as a very small child. Um, mm. began to notice that maybe you were you were able to to see or communicate with things that perhaps you shouldn't be able to. 
Yeah, and I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be able to do that because to me it was very natural, you know. So um, I was just wondering why people were sitting on my pops when he was sitting in the living room, you know. And my nan used to just watch me very, very closely. And she she always said I had second sight, my nan. So she was on my side. But um, my mum grew up in, in Ireland, you know, very fearful. And um, she was scared that I was bringing the devil in, you know, as she would say. Yeah. So. I've very early learned not to say a word, you know, so because they looked at me as if I was very strange when I could see these other people in in the home, you know. And just with regards to what you could actually see, because I know you talk about this, and, and, and you know, on your stage and when you when you travel around doing tours and what have you, are they actual physical people or are they kind of uh, manifestations or like, uh, I, I don't know, like yeah. vague yeah, impressions? Well, so- the, it depends on the energy. So if I see somebody like a, a real see-through person, you know, almost solid, they usually don't have any energy to communicate with because they've used all their energy to show that image to me. Do you know when people go on investigations, paranormal, and they say, I saw the lady, but she never spoke to me or the man, that's because they've used all their energy to actually show themselves. So when I'm on stage, I don't have time for them to, you know, bring themselves to full vision for me. So they'll just sometimes show me like their hair was important to them, or I don't know, a tattoo that they had, or something they were wearing when they passed or they were buried in. So the easiest way to describe it is um, some people might not know this, though, but um, I'm of the age where we used to have the negative photos, you know, so you'd have those That's negative right. strips. Yeah. yeah. So some young people will be Googling this right now. And um, <laughs> but <laughs> you could see the outline, couldn't you? So you could make out who was in the photo. The negatives came wasn't... in the little pouch with the photographs exactly. in themselves. In the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's like the spirit world to me. <laughs> but when you were younger, um, was it just was it visual or was it communication as a child or a teenager? It was very, very visual. And I remember being on a holiday. Um, my stepmom and her friend had taken us all to this caravan and it was um, really bad weather. You know, it was the worst week, I think. It was something like February. And in my bedroom, there were two children that were constantly visiting me and like under my bed. And when I was saying that, you know, she was like, you know, you're not telling the truth and, you know, all of these things. And I'm like, these two kids are absolutely there like talking to me telling me their tales and um so yeah it's it is very very visual and Sometimes that would have been put down by adults talking to yeah. you as just a child with a vivid imagination absolutely and the word liar was kind of the word that i got used to so i very quickly learned to you know to keep quiet yeah yeah so yeah. you and you did and you had what one would term term for a period uh, uh, don't get me wrong a, a normal life you you, you <laughs> got it you, you got <laughs> normal you got a job <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you settled down you had a, a family but it it didn't go away in fact it did the opposite did it it yeah it didn't go away and um you know i would um, see like my even, not just spirit visions but like psychic visions where I would say to my husband where were you today and he'd be like I've been in my office all day and we lived in Northern Ireland you know so we lived in Derry so he was I'd seen him in different areas like helicopters and things and he'd be like no I've been in my office all day and it wasn't until we left Ireland and got divorced actually that um, <laughs> he told me that 
it kind of used to freak him out that I'd known that he wasn't where he was supposed to be. So, so you know, as a, a psychic medium, I connect to living and to spirit, you know. So, because um, at the end of the day, we're all souls, you know. We, you know, the spirit world is souls. We are souls. So, and and we continue to evolve. And at what stage then did people start to ask you for um, uh, help to communicate with the loved one? So I, I, I was kind of, a, it sounds really rude, but I was a very reluctant medium because I, I didn't think that this was supposed to be shared, you know, after hiding it for so long. But um, sort of about the age of 28, it kind of got worse, if you like, you know, and I, I thought that I'm going to have to do something with this. And um, I went for a reading. I had a, I'd seen all these visions all day of a, of a boyfriend and... Um, and everything that I'd seen in my visions all day had happened. Like he'd packed, he'd left. I saw the note on the, and I'm thinking, why am I thinking he's on the motorway? And he actually was because he was leaving home. And um, so I went to a reading. I went to a psychic fair and met a, a lovely man called Barry who became my first circle leader. And I thought I was going to, I took my cousin because I thought I don't want to take my shoes off. I don't want to drink the water. They might drug me. I was like, really? Yeah. What are these people going to, you know, because you don't know, do you? The unknown. And um, and from that, that day I sat in his circle, it was just like, I felt like normal. You know, I felt all these people knew and understood. And so I was like 29, 30 and that's it I've been working ever since because we I mean what do you think about there is skepticism around around psychics yeah. maybe you yourself were even skeptic I wonder is is that yeah. sometimes justified you know that that maybe not all of them are the are the real deal kind of thing 100% I mean it, like as with everything isn't there do you know so and I think um you know I'm I love skeptic i i actually recently had a, a lovely man in my audience front row and as soon as i looked at him you didn't need to be psychic it was like clearly dragged along and i said you know the bar will be open in 45 minutes then another 45 minutes then you can go you know so yeah, just yeah. bear with me yeah. and he was like yeah yeah you know smiling and i said listen i said what i'd like you to do i said i would like you to watch my demonstration i said at the end i want you to give me marks out of 10 would you do that for me so he i gave him power over me if you know what i mean yeah. but then he had to watch the whole demonstration without fidgeting which was also you know <laughs> reverse psychology so I made him stand up at the end and I said so what do you think and so he said four out of ten and I was like well that's better than zero and he went actually he said no he said ten he said I don't know what you've just done, but you've opened my mind. And that's all. I, I'm not trying to, you know, tell everybody to believe me or, you know, I, I know what I know. And I'm very comfortable and happy with the knowledge that I have of the spirit world. But an open mind, you know, that's that's what I'm I'm after. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And, and but, they're yeah, very they're absolutely. very keen to communicate, are they? Um, yeah. But like, yeah. I mean, like, in, in, do they communicate in, in life-changing ways for their loved ones who miss them? Sometimes, because, you know, there, a lot of people say, well, if my dad was watching over me, I wouldn't. that wouldn't have happened to me. Or if my mum loved me, that wouldn't happen. Well, that's not true. Because if your mum and dad were in still in this world, you would still have to go through those experiences, wouldn't you? You know, they cannot change your your destiny, you know, the, the life that you signed up for. But there are some times, like I, I had an experience um, years ago now. I read for a lady and I don't work with a crystal ball. You know, I'm not a 
sort of a crazy gypsy kind of Lee lady. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I, but the ball, I, I had in my head, I needed my crystal ball, which is uh, blues and greens. It's not clear. Um, blues, greens and purples. Put it on my desk. And while I was in the middle of the reading, um, she they were talking, her mum was telling me that she was going on holiday at Christmas. And as she started to tell me that, I looked at the ball and in the ball, I could see like images of turtles and they were drowning. And so it, it scared me, you know, because I, and I said to her, wherever you're going at Christmas, you can't go because the turtles are drowned. And if a turtle drowns in water, that means humans will, you know, we would. So, and, it, and I just said, your mum is saying, you can't go, you can't go. Um, anyway, she's gone home and told her husband, who's really not very happy because they're paid for this very expensive holiday. And But they promised they wouldn't go and they went somewhere else for Christmas. Then on Boxing Day, I got a phone call from her husband um, apologising because obviously he wasn't very happy with me for the message. And it wasn't me, it was her mother. Um, because they would have been right in the middle of the tsunami. Oh my time. God, I wrote down the so, word tsunami as you were talking there. That's exactly. incredible. So, yeah. you know, and that also, because I've given that message, I met somebody else when I, I was doing a TV pilot for Destiny TV that sort of changed and evolved. And um, and I was sitting with the producer of that. And when I was talking to her, she said, oh, some, and I, there was something like I did, did a reading for her anyway, some, some personal things. And then I said, are you going on holiday at Christmas? So she said, yes, you can't go because that, wherever that is, because I still didn't know where it was. You know? And I was like, wherever that is, the turtles drown. So you can't go. And um, and she didn't go. She pulled out, but her it was her ex fiance. They were going to go use it as a holiday. He took his friend, and his friend actually passed away. And and that was and I know I felt like I couldn't. You know, I saved her, or I didn't. Spirit did. You know, and um, and even like weird things like I, I work in Japan a lot. And um, I was in Japan in November 2019 and they had the Seiko clock in Rapongi Hills where I live when I work. And I'd go up and get my Starbucks every every evening after work, walk up the hill, have some fresh air, taking photos of the Seiko clock for the Olympics. And every time I took a photo in my head, my head said, the clock's wrong. And I'm thinking, clock can't be wrong. It's a Seiko clock. It's for the Olympics. Can't be wrong. And then had a discussion with one of my clients over there, um, one of my private uh, Japanese clients and um, himself, his wife and the interpreter, we we're all together. And I just said, something's not, something bad is coming to Japan. And, and I could see a lot of images and the clock's wrong. The Olympics isn't happening. Something bad is coming. I did not know it was COVID. I didn't know any of those things. I just knew something bad was coming because the clock was wrong wow. you know so that's mad isn't it but and it, even i think that's mad but even <laughs> but if you look if you look at those kind of things that's mm. t- that's telling the future to an extent but looking at, at the yeah. past have you ever been in situations whereby somebody who was and i don't mean to be too graphic about this but no. an unsolved murder for instance from the afterlife yeah. do you know what i mean i mean why, why yeah, can't I've, they why can't they come to you and tell you who killed them well, I've, I actually worked on a television show called Psychic Private Eyes, which was historic cases. And one of the young ladies, Sally Ann Bowman, did tell me the name of her murderer. And his name was Mark. And she kept telling me, Mark's all over me, Mark's all over me. And what he did for a living, um, I could smell chopped onions. I could smell, you know, like a pub kitchen, you know, when they're going to yeah. do burgers and fries. That yeah. smell had all of that smell. And the man that murdered her was called Mark Dixie and he worked in a pub and he was a chef um, in a pub restaurant. Was that enough to prosecute him? 
well we had a policeman working alongside us yeah taking all the notes yeah 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 and we also got information that he'd come from australia and he was in england and that was true he'd been um, arrested for indecent assault and things in australia been deported back to england and um but wasn't being you know kept an eye on in in england and then stalked her and took her life oh my and god she was the next communicator you know and still now she will give me a message and i'll have to message her mom and say you know your little girl's here again and she's telling me i think one of her favorite things was strawberry trifle and uh, just this one particular day and i don't like strawberry trifle but i was like you know when you just have like a i think you say in ireland a notion for it you know i remember <laughs> being pregnant over there <laughs> i don't remember the guy in the shop saying you have a notion for licorice and i was like yeah yeah well that's what i had for this uh, so you irish guys will understand yeah, um, so yeah, yeah, yeah i had that for that and her mum said that was her favourite thing and the last thing that they'd eaten together. But do they you ever know? talk about where they're at and what it's like and what they're doing? It's the afterlife after all. Do they ever describe that? Sometimes they do. And I think one of the... one A, a great um, programme... Well, it was a book, The Lovely Bones. If anybody's um, read that book, they they um, dramatised that. You know, they made a film of it. And that is is a very good understanding of where we take ourselves, you know, because we're going to take ourselves to our own utopia, you know. And, and when people talk about being stuck in purgatory, um, it's, it's where you take yourself, where you feel that you haven't completed something. So it's not full of chains and demons and demonic and all of those sort of things it's where you take yourself emotionally you know so and there is a, a massive healing process when you pass over and to look at your life you have to face everything that you did said all emotions that you shared you know every emotion that someone else felt because of you you know good bad and ugly and then that becomes part of the soul essence that's communicating with me you know so because part of us will stay in the spirit world and be able to be communicated with for as long as we're loved you know and as long as we're needed and then the rest of us will go on and evolve and come back and have another you know soul purpose soul journey but it's not an actual description of what life is like for them in the next realm as such though See, the way I'm shown it is like the next realm, as you would call it, is still here, you know, because they're still there's the spirit world and our world are still part of the same thing to me. Do you, do you, know? you, do you get those that are unhappy, though, or even angry? Um, yeah, the same as, you know, sometimes I read for someone, so like a lovely husband that's taken very quickly, you know, and he's had to leave his family behind and he's he's upset and he's angry about that because a lot of people say, are they happy? And I can't just say, yeah, you know, your husband of like 50 years is happy that he's not with you anymore because that would be lying, you know. So, but they're not sort of having temper tantrums, you know, but it is, it's not... Um, you know, again, I've left all my family. I'm really happy about it. So, no, that's not true. And when you're when, when you're in when you're in a setting where there are many people asking for you to work with them, are the spirits in that? Let let's say it's a uh, like a an auditorium. Are they physically yeah. in the auditorium? Yes, they are. Yeah. And it's very, very busy, do you know. So, in the, you know, I've I've worked with when I when I was on tour with Colin, we'd we'd be like there'd be thousands. I mean, we did the Helix, you know, in in Dublin. So you, I don't even know how. I think that's a couple of thousand, you know, that you can get into that auditorium. So if you imagine two thousand living people, and they all know at least two or three people on the other side of life, you know. So it's, it's a very, very busy, busy room, then. 
yeah behind me on stage it's like there's there's i always say like um there's a some people will have like low two or three relatives that will get off the bus as i say it's like oh your coach is here do you know and there's there's a few of them that want to communicate and would and do the spirits ask you can i speak to a loved one i see them in the audience do you know i've i've they come i open myself up so they can come and stand with me and give me their information and then they'll show me who who they who they love but i did have that years ago i was working in cornwall so they have their own kind of accent you know and um but i was take i take a drink of water in between because for me that's like the break of that message ready for the next one you know it's kind of like the way my brain processes it. And as I went to take my sip of water, there was this beautiful old gen- older gentleman, sort of like you're talking in his 80s, and he had a real like Yorkshire accent and he just said, is it my turn now? <laughs> you know, Very and polite. I was like, yeah, you're so cute. So I was like, yes, mate, you know, because I'll, I'll, my energy's so high and so fast people like him sometimes get missed you know and that's why there's so many different mediums working and we're all you know we, you know we all we're all necessary and do you, you know recall what, I mean? what he wanted so, to say that elderly polite gentleman i do you know i think he just i don't think he'd been gone very long either because it was because they were a little bit in shock you know and and i think it was something to do with the traveling because i i make notes about some of the beautiful ones some of his family had traveled from cornwall to yorkshire do you know to to um do a blessing for him do you know like his his past passing and he was very impressed how they'd got there i think it was a bit like planes trains and automobiles you know to get to to get to yorkshire so he was very happy with his family for taking the time out you know so and yeah you know what, what, like we all have experiences of flowers or or, or feathers or, or birds or, or rainbows I, I vividly remember only about six weeks ago my my own father passed away and as um as yeah. he was going down in the coffin into the grave to be with my mother two butterflies yeah. uh this the sun shone um all of a sudden um and oh, two wow. and two That's no, but it's, yeah. it actually yeah. happened, and, and listen, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I get it. Like you can, you can say, ah, that's just two butterflies. But for me, even, and maybe I'm a bit of a skeptic. Even I thought, wow, that that's an incredible sign. Now, um, two butterflies flying directly over the grave and flying amongst those that were mourning on the side. Is that a sign? Yeah absolutely is a sign and and as i say it's making me go all goosey you know so and you know when it's real that's what it does to you do you know so some sometimes people talk to me about something i get no reaction whatsoever and i'm just like that's really nice you know and i'm just polite what you just said to me i could feel it you know so that's absolutely them saying you know here we are you know and we're joining you one of one of my oldest friends the same we had a um a a funeral for her sort of like in a woodland setting and um all the the doors were closed and there was uh, there was just like one tiny window open in this in this um in this room it was beautiful all glass and this butterfly just came in and literally as they were talking about her just flew round all of us and then went back out again and butterflies don't know how to go back out the same window yeah, do they because they're constantly yeah. all glass well, when, so I, when I saw like, the two butterflies my interpretation yeah. of that anyway was that was my father and mother and they were telling me we're together Reunited. again absolutely and what absolutely. are the other signs we hear of white feathers for instance well yeah and uh, if you saw one of the clips that I've actually got I, I was on stage and um, there was the, I was giving a message to this lady and another lady in the in the theatre was saying, 
I think it's with me. I think it's with me. And I was sort of like being very polite. It's like, no, I'm definitely with this lady, you know, because I can't move once I'm there. And all of a sudden, a feather literally came from above in this theatre. And as it moved and it just landed literally on the woman I was talking to onto her head. So I was like, right, I think that's the sign. You know, we're definitely here, you know. And and obviously people are going to say, you know, birds, etc. If you're walking under a tree that's full of loads of birds, it's not a sign from spirit. But if you get in your car and there's a feather in your car... Ah, your you're car, finding them in obscure places, of course. Exactly, exactly. Do you know, and I mean, my husband and I were on... Um, I think we were when it was on, we were on our honeymoon. And uh, the day we got married was his granddad's um, birthday or anniversary, do you know? So, so he was clear, you know, it was very much in our mind. And we went out to the, the patio... And there was a feather and it looked like angel wings, you know. So and I was and we'd been talking about his granddad, you know, and there's the feather. So that to me is a sign. But not if you're walking through the woods and there's loads of birds nesting, you know, and they're. No, all, I they're know. All, I know. I get that. Know. But but yeah. many people that yeah. we, we asked to comment on this ahead of it spoke of the robin. What's the significance of the beautiful little robin? Do you know, I have that myself as well. Do you know, um, my when my pops died, my great granddad, I used to always have this little, little robin, like little fat robin that used to come. And I used to always talk to it as if it was my my pops. And then on the day of my nan's funeral, there was a little there was my she always lived at number 11. My nan, there was a water butt in the cemetery, number 11. We were stood near that. This little fat robin came and landed. And then all of a sudden, this really like skinny little, I thought that would be a female one. I don't know a lot about robins, but um, but this little female, like this little one came and sat next to it. And it was like, Nan, do you know, like that's my Nan and my pops. That's uh, She's his daughter, do you know, so it's my great granddad. And they were together. And many, many times um, people have told me about they've seen, or, you know, the spirit people are saying, you saw the robin and it came in, they've, they've come into the house, yeah. you know, they, they're sitting on the fence outside. I mean, I, sometimes if I'm having a difficult time, I might just be like, please, I just need a sign. A sign. And then, yeah, and a robin will just be there. Okay. And I'll think, thank okay. you, thank you, spirit, you know, so. Yeah, always say thank you, you know. Very, and, like very finely, I mean this sincerely. Others yeah. then tell me yeah. that they smell perfume of a loved one yeah. who has long since passed out of nowhere. I've heard often of yeah. people who get the smell and the scent of pipe tobacco from a father or a grandfather. That That's not uncommon? That That is beautiful. And that that's, takes a lot of energy for them to bring a scent as well, you know, because that is physical phenomena. Do you know, showing us a bird or a flat or, you know, a flower, all of those things, that's external. But but that takes physical energy. So your relatives are really, really working hard to let you know that they're there with you. And, and our old manager, Colin and I were on tour and our manager had passed overnight and she was a Jewish lady. So we couldn't get home for her a funeral you know because they they do their funerals very very fast so we had to go back and she would have told us off if we didn't continue tour you know we would have been in real trouble you know and uh, especially now she's in spirit <laughs> and we were as we were all stood backstage we were all like saying um you know sadness for hillary and she used to wear um coco mademoiselle i don't wear that and the whole back of the theatre just smelled. And even the front row, people were saying, 
we could really smell that perfume. Where's that perfume coming? You know, so she, it's almost like she doused us in it, you know, to let us know that she'd got to the other side, she was okay, and she was still with us. And I think some people, I mean this now, finally, 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 but some people actually tell, (laughs) some people actually tell loved ones, don't they, that you will see me, I will be a butterfly, or I will be a bumblebee, or I will be the white feather that you find on the floor indoors. Isn't that some message as well, then, because people have promised that they will? And they do. Yeah, so many times I've heard that. I mean, I did write a book called Signs from the Afterlife as well. So and that that is full of stories of other people's stories as well. Do you know, so not just things that I've seen, but other people were sharing those stories with me. And they absolutely will show you that. Fascinating. Yeah, TJ, definitely. thanks so much for chatting this morning. I really appreciate it. Thank it's you. been amazing. Mind yourself. You can follow up yourselves, guys, with TJ Higgs, www.tjhiggs.com. It's the week that's in it, isn't it? As we talk Talk all things of spirit world and Halloween. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. And keep your texts coming on all the different topics this morning. Text 0868-104-106. And as promised, uh, Halloween, of course, last night and all of the trick-or-treating and people out doing things for Halloween and calling door-to-door. We had Cork's oldest trick-or-treaters on air yesterday morning and they certainly delivered on their promise down around Castle Lake in the Castle and the Carrick Tool area last night because that's where Cork's oldest trick-or-treaters went to on their fourth decade of keeping their own childhoods well and truly alive and uh, our own Kevin went down along with Martin and um, John and got stuck in with them and the kids as the oldest trick-or-treaters did their thing. Have a listen. <laughs> A very big trick or treat. <laughs> <laughs> How did you see that? Cut your head off here like it was. Trick or treat, trick or treat, trick or treat. You trick or treat too. Hey, hey. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Halloween. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Okay. So first, first one of the night. First one in First one of the night. What's what's a? Do you have a bucket there that's about? What's the size? About a medium sized yeah. bucket. Yeah. Would you say? Would you say a full one would be a good night? What would be? Yeah. yeah. We'll yeah. Definitely overfill it. We fill it definitely. <laughs> here. I like the confidence. They're good out here, are they? How many years you had this, John? <laughs> and any tricks in the forty-two years of doing oh, it? The half of the best. I was Oh my God, the houses are unbelievable. When we started, we'd be just going. Nobody be, nobody was doing it. You yeah. see, so we'd get in no problem. But no, we're in the main street now. We just we had the queue yeah. up and everything. It's like downtown Pan at the moment. There's yeah. so many people. I can't believe it. We came a good two years down to carry two years old friend of ours, and we found a very good people here. Yeah. So nice and friendly, and now a lot of people come out. Yeah. I can't get over like this. Was the music and all? It's. Maybe the music to keep people away. The lights are on. Oh, hang on. Hey, trigger tree, trigger tree. Two seconds. I thought you'd done for that. I did not. 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 I did not.
People taking a good form anyway, don't they? That's what I'm saying. This place is unbelievable. Yeah. come up. I come from Ballincollig now. It's different, but up down here. Really? What's the kind of reaction you get down there? Do people say go on away? No, they're sound as well, but we find them here so friendly here. Yeah. Hey. Hey, do you want to bring a drink? Do you want to bring a drink? No, I'm not guys. We were told not to discriminate between age. Thank you so much. Thank you. 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 Thank you're not friends of Hawkeyes. <laughs> Get out of the car again. <laughs> There's no way my friend, our friends would be like you. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Hello. Oh my God, who are you? What? Hey, I'll see you Okay. That's okay. okay. We Say happy back. Halloween, so. Okay? We call back next year. Okay. <laughs> we call back tomorrow. Bye bye. Tomorrow is still on Halloween. It's Halloween tomorrow. Okay. Oh my god. Hey, trigger tree. Go on, trigger tree. Go on, let's trigger tree. Go on, let's trigger tree. Go well, come here. Um, so, what is it? Why, is, why did you bring me down here again? Remind me. See the community spot that Halloween can do to people. Okay, yeah. Yeah. down here, there's it's, a whole, whole family. I mean, it's something that everybody gets involved. Enjoy, enjoy, yeah. yeah. Something all come out. There's loads of kids out as well. Yeah, but you haven't seen the wheel last year. It was fantastic as well, you know. Yeah, Maybe. I suppose though, with the weather, it's the weather. No surprise though, there's still lots of people out despite the weather, yeah. That's it. And everyone's friendly, enjoy. Everyone yeah. enjoys themselves. Oh, hi, they might come with a gun. <laughs> hey! What? Hey! Trigger tree! Trigger tree! Trigger tree! Happy Halloween! 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 Get thieves to me, Thank you. 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 Thank you.
we hope don't we finish up with out to all Bell and College now, then out to Cannes Face Cross Barry. We finish up with around 12 when it's afternoon. Jesus, one o'clock. Are you serious? Are you being serious? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we finish up with friends. We meet friends later. And we, we have tea and coffee. Yeah. And, yeah. You know and you feast on your, uh, your, your, yeah. your winnings. We we'll we'll back to the regulars. If you were happy, we're, we're training all year for this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what does the training consist of? So it's coming to drink so we start training. Keep it. He's a boy. Motivation. Motivation, motivation, yeah. Motivation, yeah. 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 And, he's, and he's the oldest you've ever come across. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Are they too old? Too old. Too old. You're never too old. The one impression I get from the trick-or-treaters last night is that they probably had way too much chocolate and sweets themselves because they sound wired. <laughs> Wired to the moon, weren't they? I <laughs> just like I, I was listening to it last night, and because obviously you know there there was a little bit of editing required. You can only imagine the like, kids went wild for them, did they? Uh, they loved it. Like I mean, even you heard that girl there; she was just beside herself laughing from them. So what they did was they they called to the door and they go down their knees like little kids, and then they'd put on the kids' voices. And they're like, one of them said, "Go on away, spacers," you know, and another one said, "How old are you?" Did they're like twenty one and a half. Did they give them sweets? <laughs> they did. They got they got they had these like. Like they're like medium-sized popcorn cinema buckets, and they ended up with four of them full of sweets. <laughs> what did they do with and them all? They they give them out to like other kids. They give them out to kids that like I think the sisters' kids are getting them, oh. and the, it's brilliant. Like and it like you know it, there's no there's no sense of like doing it for any particular cause. Just like they just do it for the craft. Like, yeah, basically, <laughs> nothing better to be doing. I love the fact that he said we've been in training all year, and I said well, office training, and he's a well, couple of points on the Saturday. I love that. Brilliant. <laughs> nice one. Uh, Halloween with the oldest trick-or-treaters. Text 0868104106 lads, lots of tickets to give away after the break, including um, if you are a big fan of the music of Joe Dolan. Don't touch that dial. You know something? Simply an awesome talent on an international stage, Joe Dolan. And the Dolan family proudly remember Joe Dolan with the original Joe Dolan show. Got tickets to give away for it. And it's Ben Dolan is the man that heads it up. Ben! Yes, yes, I'm here. Joe's brother. Does it does it sadden you to hear the talent of your brother there? I mean, it's just awesome, his ah, ability. well, it doesn't. It nearly makes me proud. In oh, I know, way. proud. You know. But, like, his ability yeah. was just off the charts on an international level. Oh, yeah. It came oh, into, yeah, and it comes so easy to him. Well, the, well, you see, they say they say that America got, got uh, Elvis Presley, and England got uh, what do you call your man? Cliff Richard. <laughs> Cliff Richard, and Ireland got Joe Dolan. Oh my God! I mean, like America got alone him for a while because he did end up in Vegas, toured the world, oh, and yeah, toured we, all we over Vegas, Ireland. Yeah. But you played, yeah, well, we you traveled, we yeah. traveled there with the band and all. We were all there. Yeah. So were you? You were like forty years playing same band as your brother, were you? That's right. Oh my That's God. right. Since nineteen sixteen. And you know the yeah. adulation, the love, particularly against, uh, particularly from from women. <laughs> like, did you ever get used to that? The way people behaved around him and how much they loved him. Ah, sure. It was all fun. Oh, I know that, I mean, but it was, was on a, it was never, a scale. You know, there's no show like yeah, a Joe show. That's right, yeah, but there was never anything nasty. No, you know I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying got... that. It was just amazing, the love for the guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely, yeah. Actually, we're down there, we're down there on 
down in Ballymaloo Bally tomorrow. I wanted to wish you well and thank you for the tickets. I have tickets to give away for the Ballymaloo Grain Store tomorrow evening. And I'm also told I have tickets for an upcoming gig in the early New Year in the Opera House. So you guys That's are right. bu- we're, you're as busy we're as ever. In the Opera House after Christmas. Yeah. And, know, and yeah. It's, it's you and other members of the family, is it? Well, it's, it's my family. You know, it's it's myself, of course, but I mean, we have Adrian, my one of my sons, and Raymond is the other son, and my daughter Sandra, and then we got have another girl singer as well. You know. Well, I so tell we you, have, yeah, he he'd be very four, proud that you're keeping four, you're keeping it going. We have four Dolans at the front line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it's, it's all yours. It's all Joe's Shuffy records. And there was oh, so much. A lot, of, a lot of original songs that he did in that, you know. Yeah, it's going to be a great night of reminiscing and nostalgia. He's 16 years gone now, huh, Ben? 16 years, yeah. Time time flies. Doesn't you know? it? I mean, when I look back, it seems only like yesterday. Oh, sure enough. And like here, we got a lot of people calling. We have a pub here in Monagar. Right. And we got a lot of people call in. And to talk about us as if he only died yesterday. I know, I know, know. I know. His talent was just off the charts. It really was. He had the most magnificent voice. He really did. Well, listen, thank you so much for the tickets. Best of luck with the tour. See you in the Ballymaloo Grain Store tomorrow evening and the Opera House in in, uh, in early February. Fair play to you. That's right. Thanks a million. Thank All you. the best, pal. Our lines are open. You can get involved. We'll take callers 9, 10, 11 and 12. There'll be two pairs for Ballymaloo and two pairs for the Opera House. Um, and now we're talking about serious Joe Dolan fans here now. I don't know where the story is with regards to Opera House or Grain Store tickets in Ballymaloo, but you can call them yourself and see if there's any left and pick them up for yourself. But our lines are open for those ones. Also, so, just last bit of business and we'll pick up on everything else in the morning. I've been telling you over the last week or ten days that the Cork City Ballet is doing Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake, the 2nd, the 3rd and the 4th of November. We're in November already, so it's kicking off tomorrow. I have two pairs of tickets to give away for that also for Friday night's production of Swan Lake. So get dialing for those on uh, 0818 104 106. And again, as we have done many times in the past, Alan Foley is the Cork City Ballet uh, director and co-founder and joins me by phone. Alan, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? Everybody in good form and good shape. That's a big one, Swan Lake. It doesn't come bigger than that. It's a big one, all right, and it's even bigger because it's our 30th anniversary. So, um, you know, we've been going 30 years and, of course, with Joan Denise Moriarty starting her Cork Ballet Company in 1945 and we're just sort of carrying on the baton, as it were. So it's a pretty exciting time and, yeah, Swan Lake. I and is that, was that picked specifically for the 30th that you would do something that lends it, itself it, it, so brilliantly it, yeah, to ballet? Exactly, because everybody, as you know, associates ballet with Swan Lake and we have a lovely production. We have a really beautiful production of it. So we thought, yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it. Okay, and you have to go for it. You can't cut back on that. There's no pulling back on Swan Lake. Yeah, there's no hiding on the undercarriage. Yeah, you've got to really give it, you know, all guns blazing. And we're doing that. We've got a fabulous court of ballet, wonderful solace. And of course, you've got two magnificent principals from the State Ballet of Sofia. They flew in last night, so they're busy in class and rehearsal at the moment. And we're slotting them into the, into the show. So we open tomorrow night. And incidentally, today is World Ballet Day. So we're getting we're getting very grown in the ballet world. We have notions now, like my mum used to say. No better boy. No better boy. Exactly. What about the music? What about the musical aspect of it? Well, I mean, it's Tchaikovsky's score. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. Do you know what I mean? And unfortunately, we're not funded by the Arts Council, so we don't have the luxury of an orchestra. But, we but who do you use? 
We use the Russian State uh, Orchestra and um, we are allowed to use their um, their music. So that that, that will be uh, the score. That that'll be a big one. Yeah, that'll be a big one. So how many performances? I know it's over the second, third and fourth. But I think it's matinees as well, isn't it? We, yeah, we've got four shows. We open tomorrow night and we've got a matinee on Saturday. And as far as I know, it's practically sold out. So there are just a couple of, uh, a few tickets left. So delighted to, to hear that. I mean, we, we are known for having all sorts of artistic interests on Side, and it's glad to hear the ballet's there as well, right? Our people definitely know their ballet meals. They've been coming for years. And, you know, when you think of all the work, the groundwork that John Denise Moriarty and Alloy's Place yeah. did all those years ago. Do you, you know, miss it? it, it do, you, really do you miss the boards? No. <laughs> no, simple as that. Yeah. No, I the look, end. I look, I look at what those dancers are doing, and I think to myself, "How did I manage to do that? <laughs> Leg up around the ear, and no, 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 I don't miss it at all." But it's lovely to look back and think, "God, you know, I did that." That said, I can't believe so many years have passed. I, I mean, uh, you, you know, like we're thirty years now, and I, you know, I've been dancing well since God was the boy. So. um yeah, but it was, it's lovely to look back and, and, and reminisce. Have a great one, pal. Don't break a leg. So Have a great one and Thank enjoy it, as always. As always. Take yeah, care of yourself. Thanks. Wonderful people. Alan Foley, the founder and artistic director of the Cork City Ballet. Lines are open for that. Two pairs to give away for Friday night's performance. 0818 For all other business, I'll pick it up in the morning. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.